you're looking for someone to judge you, then you got to keep looking. And she's very like moved by that. I'm trying to read it phonetically because there's like it's like it's no, really I, like I, I ain't supposed to change that. X Men, X Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is Kat Overland, indie and small press editor at Women Write About Comics. Kat, how are you today? Very happy to be here. Big fan. Excited to chat about my favorite mutant, or a favorite mutant, I guess. Well, listen, I think multiple favorites in this franchise is only healthy given how many characters there are. We are here today to talk about Jonathan Starsmore, called Jono, best known by the code name Chamber. Jonathan spelled inexplicably J-O-N-O-T-H-O-N. Well, how else would he get the nickname Jono? People wouldn't just call him that if it wasn't in his name. Right, I'm like, every... <laughs> I, like, I know a Jono in England, and... His name is not spelled like that, but yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Actually, once he jumps to Uncanny, I noticed in the Casey stuff, it's suddenly Jonathan. Like it's only oh. the first two vowels are O's instead of all three of them. Oh, I didn't realize that it changed. I know at some point he says that he doesn't want to be called Jono anymore, but that doesn't actually happen. Materialize. Yeah, it's just like the middle one always stays an O, I guess, to underline like Jono. You know, but well, that's kind of how I thought Scott Lobdell came up with it. So, I mean, yeah, I don't know. And we'd have to ask him. And quite honestly, I'm not interested in talking Never to Scott Lobdell. So <laughs> that is a mystery for archaeologists to uncover thousands of years hence. But I am excited to be here to talk about Chamber. We are rounding out most of the Gen X cast, which is interesting. I was never a huge Gen X reader as it was coming out. I went back and read it once it was over. But while it was coming out, I would get issues like here and there if they were at whatever diner or convenience store or whatever had them in the spinner rack. Like it wasn't, but it wasn't something that I subscribed to. So I was kind of in and out. And Chamber... While, like, again, the male characters are just never my focus, was such a striking visual design that he was pretty instantly memorable. What is it about that character that you really liked? So I was a little young for Gen X when it was coming out, but I did read it sort of ad hoc. I think we're about the same age, but... I'm turning 34 in, like, two weeks. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm 34. Okay. <laughs> Who's counting? I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But that is officially the mid thirties, which I was not like that hit that suddenly occurred to me the other day. And I was like, oh, hmm, okay. Pandemic years don't count. It's fine. That's what I keep saying. How did you get into X-Men generally? Let's say like, what's your origin story with the franchise? Okay. Again, I think we have a, maybe a similar origin story. My dad was really into comics. Love that. (laughs) Love a collector dad. Uh, Yeah. So he's a pretty prototypical nerd, like worked for NASA, like very nerd. That's about as nerd as it gets, yeah. (laughs) So I grew up in the suburbs of Houston, and there wasn't really a local comic book shop for a long time when I was a kid. Talk about Houston having a problem. (laughs) Sorry. Holy shit. Sorry. So, uh, you know, when we went downtown, I could pick some up, but like, if there's one in the CVS or whatever. So I picked up Gen X. I really remember reading Gen X a few issues when it came out and being like 
I was just totally in love with them because I was really into my cool teen characters phase, which I mm-hmm. guess I never, I never really grew out of. But like, you know, it's, it's a little different when you're like 10 or nine or whatever. Right. Well, they're like <laughs> grownups. I mean, I've said right, this exactly. about the Kitty and Piotr relationship in Claremont. Like looking back, I get why everybody's like, that age gap is a little weird. As a kid, Kitty was 13, right. 14. Like, that's a grown up to me who's 10. Right. right? She's like, just so mature, right? I'm Kitty, not like. Right. Like, I'm they're the, the same, same age, age as- to me because they're both in high school. Like, that was not, it didn't even occur to me, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the animated series. So, like, Jubilee is definitely one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. And ooh, I think it was David Brothers who said this on Twitter the other day. Obsessed with David Brothers, such a genius. He is amazing. He's like, he's the right age for Jubilee to be his Kitty Pride. Yes. And that's definitely me. I often say to people, it's interesting, I have a very kind of ambivalent relationship to Jubilee. And it's weird because I am also, uh, like, because we're the same age, the exact mm-hmm. age where Jubilee should be my Kitty Pride. But because I was reading the 80s stuff, Kitty is my Kitty Pride. Like, I am 10 years older in my X-Men fandom than I'm supposed to be, which is just, that's why my friend Lou, Louis Lopez, who's been on the show, calls me the old man. Because, again, Lou is older than me. But he's like always just like, why do you care so much about comics that came out in 1984 or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I can't help it because I think the stuff that you read earliest is often the stuff that you are most attached to, which makes sense, right? Right. So even though I only read like like a handful of episodes, like you get a sick day, so you get a comic Mm because there's some comic somewhere kind of thing. Like I really imprinted hard on Gen X. It had all the things that I like and was really cool visually in a lot of ways sometimes. <laughs> well, Bachalo was definitely doing a vertigo kind of riff. I mean, he had done right. Witching Hour over there and like... And he was like right off of Death, The High Cost of Living mm-hmm. when he was on um, Gen X. So you can really see that influence, especially in Chamber, right? Yeah, and pe- the penance and M-plate hair is very Gaiman's death also, mm-hmm. but like taken to an extreme where now it's a weapon. But it's that right. kind of big sort of Susie Sue look. Chamber's got the sort of Sandman kind of mm-hmm. skinny British guy with wild hair. kind of. And his whole that. design is a very Vertigo design. It's not yeah. a very X-Men design. And that's the kind of comics, my dad was really into that stuff. He's a big Morrison and Alan Moore fan and liked I guess like the edgier books at the time mm-hmm. this does feel like if Alan Moore had ever written the X-Men a character that Alan Moore would do yeah exactly so Chamber is definitely a character that I loved and I love that he was bros with Jubes my favorite and Skin who was also bros with Jubes so like the three of them yeah for Jubilee fans I completely understand why Gen X was an incredible book I just again it was like Jubilee was after my time. I'm like six. And I'm like, (laughs) no, I like Kitty, you know? Yeah. Right. So I read some of them. And then finally, can I shout out an individual scantilator? Yes, you can. The Cerebro podcast is opposed to piracy of all kinds. However, in the days before readily accessible digital comics, scanners were the people who got people to read old comics. And I think that... It's a bit of fandom culture that has truly just been lost. Like when I explained to people, Peter David got the live journal Scans Daily shut down because they spoiled the baby twist in X Factor Investigations by posting some panels the day after it came out or whatever. Right. People are posting panels from new comics every Wednesday on Twitter and nobody has a problem. I mean, people are posting them on like Tuesday. Well, so. those people should stop. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. 
So imagining him him being that furious over a right. next day it's reveal. It's just a very me. different time because now we've all kind of embraced the fact that sharing panels far and wide is often what gets people to buy a comic. What I've found with this podcast is that with classic comics, which Gen X now is, because unfortunately for you and me, that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Oof. Oof. <laughs> Big oof. Big oof. You know, I, I find that a lot of what gets people, younger people in particular, interested in going back to the comics from the 70s, 80s, 90s is posting bits from them. And they're like, wow, that's crazy. I have to find out what the context is here. And they go and find the issues. So you I will know. be real while rereading a bunch of this stuff. I probably took like a thousand screen caps, if not more. So my Twitter is going to be flooded soon. I love that. You don't even understand last week's episode on Stacey X. There are very few Stacey X resources on the internet, shockingly, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> so, like, instead of reading the key stories, I just went to Travis Starnes and read every single appearance she's ever had <laughs> and just screen capped them relentlessly because I was like, well, I got to remember my talking points. I did that here, actually, with the Poptopia arc. Oh, my God, yeah. there's so, so much really in exciting. that. And I was just like, I need to have quotes to pull out of this because Joe Casey is doing some really cool stuff in this art. Yeah. But so you were going to shout out a specific scanner. Okay. I don't so I was going to shout out Beastly Charming, I believe, is the, the scanner that put out like all the Gen X books, which are not even available digitally now. So well, that's the thing. Is it's like, yes, that trade. was technically illegal. However, they still still have not made Gen X right. digitally available. So I understand. And I have all the trade paperbacks of Gen X characters you can buy legally, so my conscience is clear. And I bet you're going to buy every single Epic Collection the moment they come out. They yeah, just, they're, they're finally They are finally publishing Epic Collections of Generation X, and as they're going up, Marvel Unlimited is suddenly getting like 10 more issues each time because... Right when you do an epic collection they do the digital recolor that's the problem i was just complaining uh, that is kind of the well pros and cons pros yeah and cons. but you know i mean i i think if you stay relatively close to the original it's a, mm -hmm. my issue is when they get they start editorializing with a recolor i don't yeah like, i mean there's there's probably the simonson thor recolor or like the swamp thing yeah. recolor like those are criminal in my opinion though i will say reading through a lot of these gen x books and even some of the later jano storylines there are a lot of coloring uh oversights maybe yeah those could Poor be M. <laughs> yeah oh i would be fine if they went through marvel unlimited and fixed monet's skin tone in every comic every she's book, ever yeah. been in uh, except for that one issue where she's horrible to stacy i think that specifically <laughs> should remain white woman monet <laughs> It's like a very unrecognizable character, and that's fine because Chuck Austin writes her crazily. I kind of forgotten. Okay, like full disclosure, I never actually read New Warriors, the, uh, uh, Volume Four. Yeah, the that post -Civil was a great choice. War. <laughs> New Warriors. I have read seven issues of it because I tried last week for Stacy. Right. One of them was the issue where she blows up. I had to. I just. I just skipped ahead after six because I was like, "This is one of the worst comics um, I've ever read in my entire life." Well, I mean, life. it's really difficult to even tell that that's Stacey X, and yeah, you know, that's why I was. I, I was paging through to all her scenes. Like, where the fuck is she? Which one is? Which one is she? Because they're all in interchangeable costumes and just look like a lady in a cat suit. 
I was like, is this like a supposed to be a cool reveal? And they finally like tell you who everybody is supposed to be, and they don't look anything like any previous appearances. Like Beak, Hot Beak who is the, cursed. Who the fuck was Beak? Hot Beak <laughs> is so cursed. There is nothing more cursed than Hot Beak. Hot Beak is more cursed than Hot Marrow, who was it, previously the most cursed hot character. Right. It was oof. Anyway, so yeah, I wouldn't recommend that. Did not get a lot of Jono insights except I remember you. So you were, it was so funny. Travis Starnes, <laughs> my patron saint, Travis, if you're listening, mm-hmm. I don't know if he listens to this podcast. I just love his work. The website went down right when Kat got to New Warriors <laughs> Volume 4. And it was like, what am I going to do once I and It's Warriors? back up now, thankfully, but there was like a server issue. But she was just like. Got through it. She was like, I, I, I have to read New Warriors Volume 4 now. I was like. Define have to. I was like, you have to skim New Warriors. I, I, I am yeah. not going to make you. I'm not going to ask for a, a treatise on decibel <laughs> in this episode because I just don't <laughs> think that's particularly fruitful or interesting for anybody. No. Um, so I, I don't feel bad that I missed that as a as like a Gen X team. That's fan. another one where some color correction in digital wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Because Angel Salvador is walking around. Uh, every single design choice in that comic was a mistake. <laughs> it's shocking. Without exception, every single one is a mistake. When you were like, oh, there's not a lot of Stacy X resources. And I was just like, is that why New Warriors looked the way it did? Like, could they just simply not read the Generation M mini? That- well, they're all calling her Miranda because that name was in a handbook, but it had never been used in a comic before. I think we need a gospel of Stacy X to be readily available. Well, I'm glad that they're friends anyway. Oh, I am too. But by the way, some business. I asked last episode if anyone could find me a citation for the idea that Stacy X's name was supposed to be X Stacy, as in ecstasy, because I couldn't, it's never in a comic and I couldn't find it. Right. Several of you have sent in the source, which is an interview with Joe Casey. He's talked about it a couple times, but also he popped into the CBR forums at one point to talk about it. Basically, he named her Ecstasy, X hyphen Stacy, mm-hmm. and Marvel said they weren't comfortable with promoting drug use. <laughs> and he said, given the rest of the plot that I got away with in this story, that kind of surprised me, but you know, whatever. So, he decided to keep the pun but make it like a wink by making it like X, comma, Stacy. And then once he had changed it to Stacy X, he decided that he actually liked it better because, and he was like, not to sound grandiose, to be clear. <laughs> like he understands that this is a wild comparison, but he said, in the same way that Malcolm X rejected his name, like Stacy X, his intended arc was that she was going to become a somewhat extremist radical leader for mutant rights, kind of almost in opposition to Xavier's dream, but working with it, but like a complication for them where she's their friend, she's an X-Man, but she is becoming an inspiring figure to people who are more militant and less accommodating than the Xavier people and that she was going to be Stacey X like Malcolm X. He said not to make a direct comparison. He was like, but once that was her name, I was like, hmm. And that arc would have been wild. <laughs> yeah. Like, I've always said that the alternate X-Men universe I want to see is the one where Claremont convinced them not to bring back Gene in 1986, where he was, like, oh, yeah. successful in convincing Shooter it was a bad idea. Not because I want that, but just because I would love to see how different the franchise would be. Mm-hmm. 
I gotta be real. I'm now desperate to know what would have happened if, like, the whole decade of the aughts was consumed by the rise to power of political revolutionary Stacey X. I would have been all about that. That would have actually been amazing. Instead, we got... I mean, first of all, the Draco never happens, so there's that. There's lots of there's lots of really great bonus items there. But yeah, so that's just the answer to that question because I did ask and several of you were very helpful in writing in. Joe Casey, come on the pod. Now I'm like, yeah. what would he what would we even talk about? We could talk about Mr. Clean from this issue with the yeah, I want to talk to him about Poptopia. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? That's exactly right. Joe Casey, if you ever want to come on this podcast to talk about sugar cane, please email cerebrocast at gmail.com. So you were drawn to Gen X. You loved these characters. They were in that very, you said like your cool teens phase. Yeah. The 90s were a specific kind of moment. It's funny because 90s nostalgia keeps kind of trying to come back in music and fashion and stuff. And it feels very weird to me. The teens, the teens in my neighborhood are all like real, actually wearing bucket hats. Like yeah. as part of a casual fun outfit. It's like, mm. <laughs> It's just, it's another sign of my encroaching mortality is like, oh, the fashion of my childhood is now nostalgia fashion, which that always happens, but you don't, you don't expect it until it happens to you. <laughs> it's just like, oh, they're all, they're, they're, you know, tying sweatshirts around their waists, huh? Like, that's interesting. I'm waiting for the Juicy Couture tracksuit to make a triumphant return. Oh my God, that actually, uh, you've got your finger on the work from home pulse right there well yeah and i honestly actually just like as part of my jewish american princess polaris agenda that is very important to me i need lorna to have a purple juicy couture tracksuit for like scenes in civilian garb yeah and i'm just putting that out into the universe free idea won't sue jerry anybody else writing polaris i do just (laughs) feel like if she were vibing and just watching tv she would have a beautiful purple velour juicy couture tracksuit that she's had since high school. I, I feel like we could definitely see more mutants in athleisure, athleisure yeah. on Krakoa just in general. They're not all walking around in the in the spandex all the time. One thing I love about the 80s is the X-Men were always just sitting around in athleisure. That's true. <laughs> they were just sort of like, mm, I'm in my dance skins. The whole run of Wheezy's X Factor, I feel like Jean is just like always showing up to meetings in like casual aerobic wear. That's true. Then in the 90s, we got jackets. Yeah. And listen, I love a jacket. So I get it. I'm not, you know. Look, I'm bisexual. Have a jacket problem. There you go. admit that stereotype. Well, so is Jono Starsmore is sort of my, like. absolutely true. (laughs) Bisexual with a jacket problem feels very much like his vibe, (laughs) if I'm being honest. Right. So, like, even as a kid, I was really into the the sort of jubes, Jono vibes. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, they kind of set up the chemistry, but she was 13 and he was 18, so they were just bros. Isn't he 20? There's a note somewhere that says he's supposed to be 18 at the beginning. Okay, because my understanding was that he's older than the rest of them because Lobdell wanted him to have a thing with Emma. Which (laughs) is so vile. Wow, I, like, physically recoiled at that. Wow, awful. Well, it's just, there's a couple things, like, Honestly, there are two things that Emma Frost doing would be like so far out of character that it's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And one of them is what she did in Inhumans versus X-Men, which is why I'm glad that we have all just agreed not to worry about it. 
My theory is that the MPOX got in her brain and made her crazy for a minute. And like a data page that explained that would not be unwelcome, in my opinion. Everyone is just a memory hold, that whole thing. Yeah, well, we all, the whole era is, yeah. But so the other one, though, is that she, like the idea of her doing something sexually inappropriate in that way with a student makes me want to scream and like specifically call Scott Lobdell wherever he is and tell him like bad you're a bad man for even just thinking just makes me want to husk yeah Ugh. and and I don't like that shit but I would do it <laughs> I would husk all that sh- I would I would be very irate cuz that's gross anyway didn't happen yeah. but yes he is significantly older than jubilee and I think they're good about therefore not having a romantic yeah edge. like she gives him a lot of shit for for like his various flirtations, but in like- yeah, and by the time Christina Strain does make it romantic, it's right. been thirty years of publication, and we can now assume they're about the same age because of the sliding timescale. Also, like being thirteen and eighteen is problematic. Being twenty three and twenty eight is yeah. fine. Like, who cares? They're, they're both like about the same age, then. Right? It's adult. like that's fine. Yeah. Once you're both teaching at the academy, exactly. You're fine. Not to age discourse, but if, if let's say she, let's say Jubilee, because we've seen her in a bar, is 21 now, then Jana would be in his mid to late 20s, and that's not inappropriate. Oh my God, sorry. This is an aside that you should probably cut, but I just I was thinking about this when I was reading through all of this stuff. What Anolia's age was, because he shows up at like Quentin's age, and he is my fucking tulpa. I had to ban, I'm leaving this in, I'm leaving this in. <laughs> I had to ban age discourse in the Cerebro Discord, not because of like, Jordan White likes to think Scott and Jean are under 30 and I disagree and like, <laughs> let's talk about that. Yeah. But rather because no one will stop arguing about how old Anol is. And I said... First of all, this is way too much time to devote to that gay little lizard. Secondly, Connor, I have so many thoughts and feelings about. <laughs> secondly, second, I don't actually have a problem with him. It's just that people won't fucking shut up about this lizard, and I don't care. So I'm like, stop asking me about the lizard. But I guess he's like he's like the the Jano to Cosmo. Which one of them is thirteen? Gabby. <sighs> Yeah, uh, uh, Gabby and Cosmar both seem like they're about 13, 14. Martha Johansson, meanwhile, is like 25. She's just a brain, so everybody forgets. (laughs) Here's the thing. Vida Ayala tweeted, character ages aren't real, and they're absolutely right. So, like, everybody should probably just chill out. And especially with Xavier School students, because I gotta be honest, the problem, like... I feel for people who stand those characters who are like six generations into the history of the X-Men, but they are (laughs) never going to age more than a year or two because of the way Marvel time works. So you just have to, you just have to take that L, unfortunately. Look, which is why I'm so happy that Jono gets to be like an adult now. He's a grown up now. Yeah. He sort of like hedged his way in. There are 217 issues tagged with him. That's almost 20 Saladines. I was going to ask. It's not, but I'm not going to do math. But I'm like, I'm like, that's too, like, well, I was like, 240 would be 20 Zaladanes. So almost. There we go. So like almost there. I, so pretty I, good. I'm um, not a math gay. Whenever I tell stories about my childhood, I'm like, I was eight years old when I read this story. And then I like think about it. I'm like, I was 10 years or I was 
six. I I'm just was I'm I not... three when that comic came out? Yeah, well, like what? Age how I old was. actually was I? Right. <laughs> My sliding time scale. Literally, <laughs> and I was reading at three, so I it's very conceivable that I would have read a comic at even like four or five. Yeah, which. <laughs> Deeply, deep. my parents got love them. That's fun. Like some of these comics. Oh, my dad had a subscription to Heavy Metal. Oh. So, you know, it's a comic. Just lying yeah. in the house. The story I always tell is just that when I bought the Inferno trade in 2000, when it came out when I was 12, my dad was like, your mother let you buy that? And I was like, yeah, it's the X-Men. And he was like, yeah, but I read that when it came out. And I was already halfway through it. So he was like, well... You know, what are you gonna do? And uh, that's why I, I am the man who I am today, which is like a gay weirdo who spends most of his time advocating for justice for Madeline Pryor. Like sometimes it's true that. But sometimes that's what makes you gay faster. And I loved that for me personally. <laughs> like there were no. there were stumbles along the way. But if Warren Worthington III had not descended from on high with his furry tits spilling out of his tank top when I was like eight or nine, God only knows how long it would have taken me to start asking questions. Right. As somebody who kind of grew up in fandom, but not necessarily comics fandom, more like, you know, internet fandom of age to... We're the same age. We yeah. were both on LiveJournal. You don't have yeah. to explain yourself. Love it. So... Um, I, I, I don't... We don't know each other from LiveJournal. I just assumed that. But... Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. No, but like, uh, duh, absolutely. right? Yeah. So I feel like Skin and Chamber were definitely like one of my first proto-ships before I really understood what that was, because I was definitely aware of gay people as a young child because my parents had gay friends and, mm-hmm. you know i was ex- kind of exposed to the world so it wasn't like oh these two guys are going on a road trip together huh yeah <laughs> that's crazy that. huh right Whoa, it's huh. Like, what does this hmm. mean hmm. i'll put a pin in that i like when skin hides chamber from the executioner by burying him in mud because he remembers <laughs> that chamber doesn't need to breathe that's deep that's like really paying attention to detail that's like we're we're very intimate friends let's say like that is like i know shit about you lungs right oh (laughs) wait you exploded your own lungs with your meme so actually chamber people who are not people are not familiar with this character (laughs) chamber's whole deal only a half an hour into our recording is that He's a telepath and telekinetic, but his power manifests in a specific way where it's a storm of psionic fire within his heart. And uh, the first time he used it, or it activated rather, he exploded off his lower jaw, most of his throat, and the basic part of his chest cavity where like his heart and other key organs would be. In their place is this beautiful coruscating fire. It's like really gorgeous for reasons that are not explained and that you should not worry about. He's able to conceal it by wrapping it up with a scarf or a bandage. He just has to Lenny Kravitz it. Yeah, and then suddenly you can't see anything. But because of this, he can't speak. So he communicates telepathically at all times. So convenient that he also had tele- telepathic it was, powers. Yes. If it was just telekinesis and you exploded your face, you're in trouble. That's actually, notably, the deal with Face, the character yeah. who he helps mentor in Gen X Volume 2, who's one of the Inferno babies. Go back to a karma episode, I guess, guys, if you want to know more about Face. Yeah, he, yeah, who shows up in the... In the, in the Zeb Wells New Mutants with that whole arc. 
but yeah, so that's Chamber's deal. And Chamber, yes, yeah, teen angst was so great that he exploded, yeah. and he's now a constant swirl of teen hormonal angry fire, basically. Right, and he's also British. And kind of like a goth punk, which was very dreamy to me. Um, and he's not British like Betsy or like one of those. Like, he's British. Like, he's British. Like, he talks like this. <laughs> it's like you're with a Y-E-R. You know, like, it's all yeah. written out phonetically. Uh, Gordon Bennett. You're driving me crazy, Miss Emma Frost. I don't know what we're talking about. Like, he has that kind of energy. You sound... I'm going to have to look this up because you sound exactly like a rapper, a specific one, British one. <laughs> well, but that's the vibe, right? Like, that's, yeah, is, what, that's exactly what he's vibe. going for. I, ha- I actually had a really hard time reading through these again because I was like, I would have to, like, read all his dialogue aloud to really understand what the fuck the accent is supposed to be doing there. Like The Moira McTaggart really... special. It's like, <laughs> or, like, the Rain. Moira, Okay, look, Moira McTaggart, totally clear, totally get exactly what weird stereotype is going on there. I didn't can your feet. No, but the, you're right. The thing is that because Chamber is specifically, like, a British youth culture figure, mm-hmm. I don't know the stereotype that he is. Yeah, I- and it's sort of like with him and Sean and Moira all happening in Generation X at once. Plus mm-hmm. Paige. It's just a lot of accents. Yeah. Zalagong, that's with a U in it that doesn't need to be there. Please write in with any thoughts on the uh, the specific British stereotype that Chamber is meant to be. Cy Spurrier writes the British accent in a way that does parse really well in my well, head. Well, yeah, because he's he British. Talks. Right. So like, <laughs> it, works, it works really well. <laughs> But, like, once I got to Legion, which he pops yeah. up in, like, one story, mm-hmm. and and that also dies. Um, yeah, Chamber but, blows up a lot. And you know what? If your power was to explode yourself in some ways, that does yeah. make sense as a place to take the character. I don't think he ever blows himself up. Well, death, when it though, activated, right? though, he, like, right, blew yeah. his home. So when you're yeah. already thinking this guy, you know what he does? He fucking <laughs> explodes. Like, it is something that you then... <laughs> might want to yeah. do for drama and like i guess when you're horny because that's actually really what blew well that's up, actually right? where he start- yeah that's his biggest blow up moment actually i so this is one where we were talking before and chambers publication history is so sporadic outside of the 75 issue run of gen x that i think it might make a lot of sense to just go chronologically as i do with some yeah. characters like Sabretooth last week <laughs> That's not one where you can do that because there's no. a lot of shit going. So it was like a more general conversation. Yeah, we're we're never really getting like flashbacks to stuff that happened in like the middle of two runs or anything. Right. Else. Whereas like Stacey X, Sunfire, those are characters where it's like, let's just go through their whole deal yeah. because it's very specific story. So I think we're going to do that. Sunfire did show up in these comics and I was like, ah. Yeah. Remember you from Twitter. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think a good idea actually would be to just do the character file now. Pause for cool. the Cerebro character file on John Starsmore, a.k.a. Chamber, and a.k.a. briefly Decibel. <laughs> we will, <laughs> I will take you through his full publication history from the Scott Lobdell and Chris Bocciolo Generation X up through his most recent appearance in an X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic by Jonathan Hickman and Declan Shalvey. Then we will come back for more with Cat Overland and tell you about all the stories worth worrying about and a couple that are definitely not. And then we will answer questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. 
We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. And now, Miss Candy Southern and me, your host, with a message from our sponsors. Long time no see, beautiful boys and groovy gals. The summer's just beginning, and I, for one... <laughs> oh my, that one was a whopper. What's the matter, Candy? Sorry, Connor, old sport. My allergies are just the pits this year. I'm afraid any ad for me is going to sound like it was recorded underwater. Have you tried Astapro over-the-counter nasal spray? It's the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray and starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, delivering full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. I've had terrible allergies this year, which is a bummer when you record a podcast for a living, but Astapro has kept me sounding crystal clear. It's got your back and your nose. And thank heavens for that. If you've got allergies like me and Candy, get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com X-Men, X-Men. Jonathan Starsmore, called Jono, but best known by the codename Chamber, was a regular cast member in the 90s title Generation X. Created by Scott Lobdell and Chris Bocciolo, he's a surly British telepath with a goth fashion sense and a very traumatic mutation. Psionic flame that erupted from his heart, exploding his chest cavity and his lower jaw on its way out. After graduating to the X-Men under writer Joe Casey after Gen X's cancellation, Jono was one of many characters to be decimated in 2005, losing his powers and his place in the franchise. And while he was eventually repowered, he's never quite reclaimed a central role in the narrative. Unlike most of the team who debuted in the franchise-wide event Phalanx Covenant, Jono first appears in 1994's Generation X No. 1. He's personally invited by Charles Xavier to join Emma Frost and Banshee's new iteration of the School for Gifted Youngsters at the Massachusetts Academy. But upon his arrival at the airport, he's attacked by the mutant vampire M-Plate. Jono and his new classmates manage to chase M-Plate off, and Jono takes the codename Chamber. While the other students are apprehensive around him, he bonds with the mute girl Penance, another visible mutant and quickly becomes the person she trusts the most. When Gen X member Paige Guthrie, a.k.a. Husk, is left devastated by the public news of the legacy virus, a lethal autoimmune disorder that affects only mutants, she gets drunk in the girls' dorm. The mysterious teleporter Gateway, don't worry about him right now, implores Jono to help her through her pain, so he goes to see her. To his surprise, Paige admits an attraction to Jono, and tries to kiss him through the scarf that holds back his power. Jono responds by losing control of said power, making the girls' dorm explode that he and Paige are unscathed. When Paige thanks him for not telling the others what had happened because she's embarrassed, he assumes she's embarrassed for kissing him because he's a freak. This will be a running theme. Chamber's power and unique physiology proved specifically useful in the field on a number of occasions, acting as a battery to help the leprechauns of the fairy kingdom in Ireland, do not worry about it, and making him immune to the evil Omega Red's death spores when the serial killer comes after Banshee. Issue 12 gives us Jono's backstory. Born and raised in London, he was into the alternative music scene and dating a girl named Gail Edgerton. When they tried to have sex for the first time at a party, the excitement caused Jono's mutant power to manifest, exploding much of his upper body and leaving Gail paralyzed in a wheelchair. In the present, M-Plate tempts Gail with promises of revenge. Gail lures Jono to a reunion, but she's actually been infected with M-Plate's marrow vampirism and attacks him when he arrives. After M-Plate betrays Gail, imprisoning them both, Gail is moved that Jono doesn't hate her for seeking revenge on him, and the two find some closure. Around here, the Onslaught event kicks off, and the rise of Onslaught on the Astral Plane makes Jono's power start acting up. 
With his best friend and teammate, Angelo Espinosa, a.k.a. Skin, he heads to the Xavier Institute in Westchester to seek help, but they're waylaid on their journey by the bounty hunter called the Executioner. Angelo manages to defeat the Executioner, but the car is totaled, and they can't make it to Westchester. While they're hitchhiking, the onslaught crisis is resolved, and the two decide to take some time off before returning to Massachusetts, taking a brief detour to Angelo's native Los Angeles to resolve some drama from his past. In Generation X-23, Paige invites Jonna to come home to Kentucky with her for Thanksgiving, as their mutual attraction has been deepening as the core will-they-won't-they of the book. When no one is there to greet them at the Guthrie farm, Jono again assumes it's because he's a big old freak with fire for a chest. Paige is offended at the implication that her family, very pro-mutant, would give a shit. After Jono finds a picture of Paige's parents when they were young, he protests that he can never give Paige a normal relationship and abandons her at the farm alone. Paige is furious, and the two do not speak for quite some time. Then Gen X gets kidnapped by Black Tom Cassidy, who leaves them on a raft in the middle of the ocean. They're rescued by Glorium, the Shaper of Dreams, don't worry about it, who teleports them to California. This is when Operation Zero Tolerance is happening and Sentinels are rampaging about, creating a life-or-death situation that compels Jono to apologize to Paige. This is when Scott Lobdell leaves the title and is replaced by writer Larry Hama. Jono mostly falls into the background of the team, but is deeply distressed when the astral psi war between Betsy Braddock and the Shadow King disrupts telepathy worldwide. As Jono must use his telepathy to communicate, he's left mute. Meanwhile, Paige's mother falls ill, and Paige decides to go back to Kentucky to care for her. Paige asks Jono to promise he'll stay at the Massachusetts Academy until he returns, and he confesses his love to her by burning a heart into a piece of paper. His powers slowly begin to return while she's gone, but Jono initially hides this from his classmates, preferring to sulk in silence. In the 1998 Generation X Annual by Joseph Harris and Tom Coker, Jono is seduced by Dracula. I don't know what else to say about this comic. It's wild. Give it a read if you can find it. Anyway, Paige returns to the school under new writer Jay Ferber, sending Jono into a spiral because he wasn't expecting her to return so soon, and now he actually has to commit to a relationship. Instead, he basically ghosts her, which leaves her devastated. Meanwhile, financial difficulties force Emma Frost to welcome her wicked sister Adrienne as a new co-headmistress of the Academy. Adrienne opens the school to human students, forcing Jono to pose as a mute burn victim during the school day so as not to arouse suspicion. Paige, meanwhile, starts dating Tristan Braun, one of the new human students. There's a lot of back-and-forth jealous nonsense between her and Jono. By the time Warren Ellis and Brian Wood take over writing on the title in the Counter X event, Jono and Paige are at least cordial again. They're both devastated by the death of their friend Everett Thomas, a.k.a. Sink, who sacrifices himself to save human students from a bomb set by Adrienne. Shortly before the title's cancellation, in issue 71, Jono has a spotlight story where he goes to Manhattan and meets a cute goth girl named Rana in a record store. Rana is deaf and is startled and fascinated by Jono's ability to communicate with her telepathically. She gives him her number and her address and makes him promise he'll keep in touch. But Jono throws the information away, because he's an ugly freak. I told you this was a theme. In the final issue of Gen X, 75, the team decides to leave the Academy after losing faith in their teachers on the Frosted Banshee. Jono is the only one to receive a letter from Charles Xavier inviting him to join the X-Men. And his friends are happy for him, but decide to make their own paths in life. Paige cries as she and Jono part, because there's still so much unresolved between them, but Jono tells her he's written her a letter and promises their story isn't over. He then pivots into Joe Casey's run on Uncanny X-Men for the arc Poptopia, where we see that he lied to his classmates about accepting Xavier's invitation. Instead, he has returned to London, where he becomes the new paramour of international pop star Sugar Kane after he rescues her from a dangerous situation in a nightclub. Despite the entreaties of Nightcrawler, Wolverine, and Iceman, Jono refuses to abandon Sugar and join the X-Men. Things change when the tabloid press begins reporting on a rumor that Sugar is pregnant with Jono's mutant child, and Sugar's bigoted manager orchestrates a fake kidnapping to break them up. 
Sugar admits to Jono that she used the exotic scandal of dating a mutant to advance her career and implores him to find a better life for himself with his real friends. Jono joins Archangel's field team of X-Men, where he befriends fellow new recruit Stacy X. The team's then forced to investigate Jono's old mentor Banshee, who has gone crazy after the murder of his love Moira McTaggart, and launched an authoritarian international mutant policing force called X-Corps, based in Paris. Paige and the other girls of Generation X have joined up with X-Corps to keep an eye on Banshee, and Paige confronts Jono about his affair with Sugar Kane. While investigating X-Corps, Jono discovers that Banshee has been keeping a secret prisoner, Martinique Wingard, one of the ladies' mastermind, whose mental powers he's employing to control the villains he's drafted into X-Corps. Martinique and the mutant terrorist Mystique then begin compromising X-Corps from within. Jono is rescued from an explosion by Nightcrawler, who frantically teleports them both away. They land in Germany, where Jono is dismayed to discover Nightcrawler has lost his own faith in the X-Men, given that Nightcrawler was the one who made such a big deal of Jono's responsibility to join in the first place. Jono reaches out to Stacy telepathically so that the X-Men can find them. When Casey leaves the title and is replaced by writer Chuck Austin, Jono pivots into a 2002 Chamber solo miniseries by Brian K. Vaughan and Lee Ferguson. To investigate the mysterious deaths of several mutant students at Empire State University, Jono enrolls undercover as a student himself. This miniseries is good, and you should read it. Jono befriends a visibly mutant girl named Amber, but proves himself a hypocrite when he can't reciprocate her attraction to him. He eventually uncovers that the incident which killed the students was an accident caused by one of the mutants, and that a pro-mutant student has covered it up. Despite her efforts, the Empire State University Mutant Outreach Program is closed, with only Amber remaining at the college. Jono returns to Westchester to find that Paige has joined the X-Men and is now dating Archangel, which makes him furiously jealous. He decides to take another undercover mission, pivoting into Frank Thierry's Weapon X. Oi, what to say about this book that I haven't said already? Jono pretends to have fallen out with the X-Men and gets himself arrested. He's recruited out of his cell by the new Weapon X program, and the Weapon X scientists manage to completely rebuild Jono's damaged body. In return, Jono is tasked with assassinating the militant anti-mutant leader John Sublime. Despite getting permission from Wolverine to do it as part of his mission, Jono doesn't want to become a killer. In Weapon X-16, a major retcon reveals that Jono's great-grandfather Jack was a madman who gave Jono a big chest tattoo as a child and wove tales of their family's connection to the ancient clan Akaba, descendants of the immortal mutant apocalypse. In the present, Jono is able to uncover the location of Neverland, Weapon X's death camp for mutants. He goes to investigate, but disappears before he can meet up with Wolverine. He later turns up as a brainwashed, devoted Weapon X agent, his mind manipulated by the villain Mesmero. After the 2005 company-wide event House of M, the Scarlet Witch's decimation of the mutant race leaves all but about 200 mutants worldwide depowered. Jono is one of the unlucky millions to lose his mutant power, but first, the decimation makes it spike. His chest and face again explode, but then the power burns out, leaving him near death. The X-Men manage to keep him alive with Shi'ar medical technology, and he's eventually transferred to a hospital in London in New Excalibur No. 9, a fill-in issue written by Frank Thierry. There he's kidnapped by Clan Akaba, who transfuse a ton of Apocalypse's blood into his body and heal him, but also transform him into a facsimile of Apocalypse, claiming he's Apocalypse's direct descendant and heir. Then they let him go. Do not worry about this. Jono next appears in Volume 4 of New Warriors, where he's one of several decimated mutants to form a new iteration of that team using technology to gain new superpowers. Still a gray-skinned, apocalypse-looking guy, he takes the codename Decibel and uses a throat implant to gain sonic abilities. After that book ends, Jono and his former Gen X teammate Jubilee leave that team for the New Mutant Haven Utopia, where Jono is a background character until the Age of X event by writer Mike Carey. In the alternate reality created by Legion during that event, Jono is chamber once more, restored to his previous powers and appearance. Once the warp ends, Jono is surprised to discover that he remains in this state. 
After the 2011 schism divides the mutants behind the leadership of Cyclops or Wolverine, Dono follows Wolverine to Westchester, where he becomes a teacher at the new Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. He remains a background character through the Avengers vs. X-Men event and the end of Utopia, until Cy Spurrier's run on X-Men Legacy, focused on Legion, in which he's part of a team assigned to apprehend the insane reality warper. A later incident with Legion leads to Jono's death in battle, but Legion is able to resurrect him. In 2017, Jono takes on his first major role in years as part of the teaching staff in Christina Strain and Amokar Pina's new volume of Generation X. Jono helps Jubilee and Paige mentor the next generation of students, taking special care with visible mutants like Roxy Washington, aka Bling. He also helps them defeat their Generation X teammate, Monet Sancroix, who has been taken over by M-Plate, her evil brother. His friendship with Jubilee blossoms into a romance, which makes sense because she's a vampire at this point. Don't worry about it right now, and it's all very goth. She gets unvamped by the end of this book. In Matthew Rosenberg's run on Uncanny X-Men, Jubilee is one of many characters apparently killed by the Mad Messiah Nate Gray, see the Nate Gray episode, and Jono takes custody of her infant son Shogo. He decides to go underground and lead the Morlocks, which, sure. When the Marauders decide to wipe out the Morlocks once and for all, Jono rejoins the X-Men. He ends up murdering all but one of the Marauders with a giant pulse of psionic flame, but is then executed himself by the sole survivor, Harpoon. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, John is one of many mutants to be resurrected by the power of the mutant circuit called the Five, and joins the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. He joins up with the new mutants on a journey to Shi'ar space in an arc by Hickman and Rod Rice, but isn't really a major player in the storyline. In the first arc of the digital X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic by Hickman and Declan Shalvey, Jono and Paige are kidnapped by the evil scientists of AIM, but Jono is rescued by Wolverine. And, uh, that's it so far. He's still a cool fire chest guy. He's around. I don't know. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that overview of Chambers' publication history. Kat, how you doing? Great. Doing great. Um, excited to jump in. So um, we could just kick off. Let's talk about Gen X. What are your thoughts on Chamber in Generation X, his most famous and most consistent run of comics from issues 1 through 75? It's certainly some of the most characterization he gets, um, which makes sense. That's his, you know, origin team and comic. And um, he's like such um, such catnip to me. You know, he's like a goth loner who has a good taste in music and is kind of prickly. And also he's so tragic with his blown off face. He can't even kiss a girl, even though he tries. And for some, like just watching the romance unfold between Chamber and Husk was a real turn off this time around. And I think I totally was just like, nope, not even. It's really bad. It is an attempt on Lobdell's part, I think, to do kind of a Rogan Gambit thing, which like Rogan Gambit was huge in the 90s. Right. So the idea of, oh, yeah, girl, I love you, but I can't kiss your mouth because I don't have a mouth. I love you. The way that Rogue can't touch Remy. Like it was a similar sort of like for forbi- And the one time that Paige does try to kiss him. Mm-hmm. he blows up the mansion he like prematurely ejaculates and blows up the mansion with a telekinetic shockwave <laughs> so yeah, he blows up the girl's it's... dorm at the massachusetts academy it just explodes the horrors and ravages of puberty just truly one boner takes out the whole girl's dorm Valerie Cooper went to the government with like a whole report on that. It was just like <laughs> one bars. mutant direction, Senator, one mutant direction and a building is leveled. <laughs> well, I'm just, um, I always imagine 
Mike Pence now as whatever politician is yelling about X-Men legislation now after Twitter stuff. The William Stryker jokes with Mike Pence are always very good. So that's now I'm just imagining that. Yeah, actually, I'm thinking about it. And by the time of Gen X, Valerie Cooper was like allies with the mutants now. But it would be somebody. It would be somebody. So I think um, that to me is very compact, very compulsory heterosexuality on both like the narrative level, like, oh, it's a book about teens. So we need some kind of... We need a romance that's at the center of the book. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like, ooh, Jubes is a little too young. Right. The fun, it's a funny joke that skin can't get a hottie. So, you know. And- right. And like Monet and Everett are kind of a will they, won't they for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't really play out until writers after Love Dell. Right. So that's pretty terrible and definitely feels like. You mean like Chamber and Husk is pretty Chamber terrible. Chamber and Husk. Yeah. No, Not, it's, no. <laughs> it's pretty terrible. It is. I, it is genuinely. I was like, I terrible. love the Larry Hama Dodson era of Gen X. It's that really is clutch. my favorite era of Gen X also. And I feel bad because I realize that like the Bachalo art is more innovative, but right. just personally on an aesthetic level, like I prefer, like, listen, I think Frank Quitely was essential to the rebrand of new X-Men. But my favorite new X-Men issues are the ones Phil Jimenez drew because I like that kind of aesthetic. I like a Phil Jimenez. I like, (laughs) in terms of more recent people, Nick Robles blows my mind. I love that they're letting Lucas Vernick do more interiors now. Mm -hmm. Even Carmen Carnero, that kind of like lush, but very realistic looking. Like they're all, everybody's stunning. So that's not realistic, but like, (laughs) you know. That's more my aesthetic than the cartoonier stuff. Dodson, he tends toward the cheesecake in a way that I think some people don't love. It's very Adam Hughes, right? Right. But I also love Adam Hughes. I love a cheesecakey art style if it doesn't feel like the female characters are getting exploitatively drawn. You know what I mean? Yeah. I like when people are beautiful. It kind of kicks off like that string of comics kicks off a little cheesecakeier than it ends i think yeah i think they i think they they ratchet they like find the right equilibrium by the time he finishes drawing that book they're supposed to be beautiful teens like i want to read about beautiful teens having beautiful teen problems it's like every tv show in the 90s where 25 year olds were playing beautiful teens and it was okay that they were hot that was the point like because we were all trying to get involved in the drama and it's fine because everyone on screen is an adult I think the Bachalo art is like such a cool pull in at the beginning of the series, but then it kind of goes from Bachalo really influenced from the Vertigo style and his Vertigo work to like Bachalo watched a lot of anime. Yeah. And then of... like the Humberto Ramos stuff is really rough for me. Mm-hmm. There's like the, the really 90s silhouette where you get like the giant wrist gauntlets and the huge boots. Mm-hmm. Um, I love it. And Chamber gets that too, but he, his, um, you know, he he reaches out to Penance. He's like such an obvious metaphor that it's really easy to kind of do yes. some of these emotional X-Men stories. The mutant metaphor stuff with him is really on the surface because he is a marked mutant in the way that Nightcrawler is. Like, you can't avoid it. He can't hide it. His relationship mm-hmm. with Paige is often complicated by the fact that he is insecure about her being a mutant who passes for human. Right. And I think like Nightcrawler, though, they do kind of in canon make it so make it obvious that he is also attractive, though, which I well, think that's is the thing that is he... like everybody thinks he's so sexy. <laughs> and I, well, when we get through the Joe Casey run, I think that that's mm-hmm. actually like a really important arc. Yeah. 
two weeks ago with the Stacey X episode, I talked about how I think that the Joe Casey run is really underrated. And in part, that's because of Stacey. But it's also because of Chamber. I think the stuff that he does with Chamber in that Poptopia arc is really, really smart. Yeah. But as you were saying, in Gen X, he's the one who reaches out to Penance because he understands Penance's deal, which is like, yeah, you feel like a freak and no one has ever treated you like a normal human being. So, of course, you're like behaving like a weird monster. Let's be monsters together. Yeah, he says, come on, let's prove to these guys that you don't want to hurt nobody. You know, like he's very much trying to encourage her to trust him because he Mm -hmm. understands her experience. And in that way, he also is very much like Nightcrawler. That's the function Nightcrawler serves with a lot of more visible mutants. And Nightcrawler will serve that purpose for Chamber in the Casey run, actually. It's true. And like Nightcrawler, I I think Nightcrawler, too, is another one of those um, non-passing mutants who also gets a lot of in-canon His mutations made him super hot. Right. Everybody thinks Nightcrawler is the hottest guy. So I think the only other thing, like, I mean... It's a really formative comic for me, and I do really like, uh, I don't know, there's some time travel shenanigans, there's romance, which is not great, but I do like Jubilee kind of dealing with her crush on Sync and stuff, And but I like Chamber and Sync, too, and this kind of follows him. I love the part where Sync mimics his power and doesn't explode his own face. <laughs> And that mm-hmm. makes Jono feel really insecure. And then Yeah, he can fly with And then Everett Jono's starts powers. floating in the air and goes, Oh, Jono, you can fly. You can totally <laughs> do this. You just need to practice. And Jono's like, fuck you. I can't fly. I don't know what you're talking Gordon about. Gordon Bennett, which is his go-to. Yeah. So it's just it's one of those interesting things. Like, cause I mentioned mm-hmm. in the prodigy episode, Ashleen and I were talking about the interesting optics of these black characters who can borrow your skill or whatever and do it better than you and how it represents almost like a white anxiety. But with Everett, most of the time people don't mind. And the only character who minds is Chamber. I don't think it's because of like the white anxiety that Ash and I were talking about. I think it's specifically because the ravages of Jono's power on his own body are so primordial that... Mm -hmm seeing someone just effortlessly use the power better than him without hurting themselves has got to really sting. Right. You know, he spends all this time knowing that his powers are what caused him all of these pains. And then to see Everett be able to utilize them totally free from pain in a way that sort of seems way more like a gift Mm -hmm. in kind of a way, like many of the other X-Men. I mean, like, I think that's, Um, a really poignant scene and kind of a theme that goes with Jono as he leaves the Academy. Yeah, particularly just in terms of how he relates to women. Mm -hmm. The one we haven't mentioned yet is the plot with Gail Edgerton, his girlfriend, because like his origin story, which is literally just Rusty Collins's origin story, basically. (laughs) But you know what? Like there are only so many mutant manifestation origin stories. It's fine. And they set it up kind of like mysteriously at the beginning. You don't know what his mysterious pain is Mm -hmm. other than blowing off his jaw. Yeah. So Rusty Collins, and if you don't know or care who Rusty Collins is, you're not alone, but go to the Sally Blevins episode featuring Jordan Bloom. I think it's a fun one, and we talk all about Skids and Rusty. Rusty's backstory was he was like a virgin in the Navy, and his like 
comrades hired a sex worker and his power manifested from his anxiety and he burned her and it was like a whole thing and he has to have like a reconciliation with her years later where she's like become a nun and like all that anyway don't worry about it i'm just saying this is a similar it's more personal though because jano's power manifests when he is it's the same thing where it's like i'm about to lose my virginity so it's like I'm very much around that, in a coat yeah. closet with my girlfriend. With his girlfriend, though. Gail is his girlfriend. And then his power manifests from the excitement of their sexual connection. And his body half explodes. And she is knocked back by the telekinetic force and is crippled by a spinal injury. But thankfully, like, you know, no burns or any facial She doesn't get burned. Like well, She's beautiful still. It's psionic flame. So unlike Rusty, where it's like literal fire, I'm not sure if Chambers Fire burns you in that way. You know what I mean? Because it mm-hmm. it feels more like a kinetic. It's like Scott's optic blast, where it's just like, right. it's just force. It's not a laser. Like, you know. It definitely gets, his power definitely gets renamed, depending on what book. 1,000% inconsistent. We have a question about that later on. Oh, great. <laughs> but so Gail, who is in a wheelchair, but yes, not scarred or anything by this attack, just lost the I mean, like, legs. That sucks. That, you that know, is hard. Understandable hard that Jono understandable is Understandable that Jono feels guilt. terrible. But yes, it is different from the Rusty Collins story where she's like permanently disfigured because he like mm-hmm. melts her face off. But in this story, what ends up happening is that Gail teams up with M-Plate because she wants revenge on Jono. And M-Plate seeks her out. Like, yeah, like, not, like a random high school girl summoning. Like No, right. He's like, he's like, hmm. What's the pettiest way I could capture these mutants? Right. These Gen X kids keep fucking with me, so I'm going to track down his ex-girlfriend who's bitter about being paralyzed, and I'm going to infect her with my marrow vampirism and use her to attack Generation X. But then M-Plate betrays both of them, and so Gail's like, you know what? I probably shouldn't have trusted this evil guy who's a demon from another dimension. Sorry, Jono. No, his... <laughs> Mouth hands are just so convincing. I think he also buries them in the ground. Which he does. Is really funny to me. He like, like there's buries them alive. Heads. They escape, but and I guess they're they're even. You know, I paralyzed you. Yeah, John was like, I don't hate you for doing this. I understand that you were mad at me. And she's like, How can you find inside you to be so kind? He goes, You and me used to mean a lot to each other. Life and all the pain it causes. I ain't supposed to change that. You're looking for someone to judge you, then you got to keep looking. And she's very like moved by that. I'm trying to read it phonetically because there's like it's like it's no, I, like I ain't supposed to change that. You're looking for someone to judge you. This is kind of what I, the problems I was having trying to read this in some kind of British accent. But you are you're nailing it. I think it's a little more towy than the like East London vibe he ought to have. But you know what? I'm only one American man, and there's only so much I can do. I think it is kind of funny though that. Like, he's so much a product of all of the external things about his character. Like, he's British, and he looks like a goth punk, but it's not really, like, you know, his gothy attitude is not really, like, an essential part of his character, I think, in some no, of these stories. It, it's you aesthetic, know? mostly. <laughs> so, you know, they, they get it together, and somehow... I never really understood why he got the lauded Xavier's letter when, like, they send you a letter when you're when ready it's like, to join you're the gonna X-Men. Get, you get to join the X-Men? Yeah, no, that, <laughs> uh, so. 
I was like, what the fuck so is that? So give me a quick survey of like the things that, because here's the thing about Jono. He's a really cool visual. He is Paige's love interest. He's otherwise just not that essential to Generation X as a book. He he has like one good showdown with Omega Red that is absolutely not connected to any other part of the Generation X story. Yeah, lines. when Omega Red attacks Banshee because of drama from retconned past that they have together, Chamber is immune to the death spores because <laughs> he has no mouth. So right. he, like, he doesn't breathe. So uh, he's able to defeat Omega Red. The fact that he doesn't breathe is, again, like we said uh, earlier. When they're at a creepy haunted carnival, Skin. Yeah, I was just saying Skin is able to bury him in mud because he doesn't need to breathe. And that's how they defeat and, the like- executioner. Wait, should I have talked about my ship with them here, or had we already covered that? You mentioned yeah. it, but, like, I mean, feel free to go into detail. They vibe. Like, they go on this weird road trip together. Right, where we then get to find out Skin's mysterious backstory, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited to hear Terry Bloss talk about, because as another Latina, yeah. Skin was really, like, I think that was also... Have you heard that episode yet? You should check it no, out. No, I it haven't. Was fun. I it was a fun one. Terry's great. Gen X was really... Uh, I think appealing to me because I really love the 90s diversity yeah. <laughs> kind of team ups where they're like, we're going to have one of everybody mm-hmm. and they're all going to be friends. And to me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that is what life is like. Cool. <laughs> you know, it's kind of cool to have um, a Latino character and for them to kind of. Gen X does have a very like United Colors of Benetton vibe. Yeah. Like, is it great that he's like an East LA former gangster? Maybe not. But, you know. <laughs> not ideal. We get into that in the episode. Yeah, yeah. I could, o- could only ask for so much back then. But yeah, I always thought they had a vibe. And I always really liked the the friendship triangle between Skin, Jono, and Jubes. And mm-hmm. sort of the, like, maybe a poly V with Jubes and Skin pointing to Chamber. Like, <laughs> they definitely had vibes. So, um, you know, kind of a proto-ship for mm-hmm. young me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Shortly after that whole event, that's like onslaught era. Truly, yeah. There's a lot of onslaught like, bullshit. That- don't don't worry about it. Don't worry. someday Anthony Oliveira will force me to do a whole episode on onslaught, and I will deal with that. Well, then. it hits Generation X a lot in issues where they have to like fly to a place, and then they're like, "Oh God, it was onslaught. Let's fly somewhere else." It's yeah, like, like wow. nothing of interest particularly happens. Sorry, team. Chamber sees Onslaught at one point, and Onslaught wipes his memory. And so Chamber's like, Onslaught is somebody I know, because why wouldn't he want me to know what he looks like? And then it was like, well, we'll never follow that thread again. Uh, Yeah, it's one of the clues that it's Charles, but it doesn't get picked up on at all. Then there's the bit where uh, Paige invites Jono home with her for Thanksgiving because they've been kind of like getting romantic, and he's Uh. a complete shitbird about (laughs) everything and ends up abandoning her at the farm. Yeah. He can't handle any of that stuff. He can't deal with like loving parents or anything because I right. don't think actually Canon really does answer. We don't know anything about his family particularly. Yeah. I was like, unless it was in a holiday special that I did not read. Yeah. Which is possible, I but I don't think so. Yeah. It's still like they were rich question mark um, and sent him on a plane there. And so he's like, oh my God, a caring mom, loving siblings. A girl likes me, commitment, Jesus. Well, it's also like they show up and nobody's home at that moment. And he's like, it must be because I'm an ugly freak and they don't want to meet me. And it's like, shut up, Jono, shut up. Like, no. <laughs> this family with two mutants in it. Yeah, I like, hate mutants, although. Well, Joelle does, but we don't yeah. have to get into it. <laughs> 
Orcus pedal Joel Guthrie. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the data page. So he, you know, he was sort of right, but in the most asshole way possible. Yeah. And so. well, and he's just so rude to her and kind of horrible. And so Gen X from there is kind of like them being awkward. That's around when Operation Zero Tolerance kicks off and when Lobdell leaves the book, or let's be real, is taken off the book. Mm-hmm. And then Larry Hama takes over. There's some capers. It's like, it's just like fun, cool comics. Hama writes point. Husk out for a while, which mm-hmm. is interesting. Which is fine, which is fine with me at the time. <laughs> I have much more appreciation for Paige as an adult than I did as a kid. That's fair. Um, but that's around when Psy War happens in mm-hmm. uh, Adjective List. So yeah. Psylocke's War with the Shadow King on the Astral Plane deactivates telepathy worldwide, which means that chamber can't talk so when Paige is like my mama's sick i gotta go back to the farm please won't you stay until i return jono because we need to talk we need to work out the the stuff between us but like do they is there between them do you really need to sit down and talk so he writes the word promise on a piece of paper and then lowers his scarf and burns i guess it does burn Burn, yeah, he burns get, a little heart. <laughs> he burns a heart into the piece of paper. And she's like, oh, my God. And, like, leaves. But it's clear that they're going to, you know, have to resolve this. And he, like, thinks that she's going to be gone for a long time. But then she's just like, sup, I'm back. And he was like, off. Oh, when Jay Ferber takes over, she just comes back pretty much immediately. <laughs> and uh, there's that annual in the middle there. I think it's the 98 mm-hmm. annual. Where yeah. He's, they're attacked by Dracula. Yes. And Dracula bites Chamber, which has never come up again. But you know what? <laughs> well, we we're going to find another that. one of those plot threads later. So, so there you'd you think go. it would have maybe popped up when Jubilee was a vampire. Well, yeah, you would think. Like, I got bit by Dracula once. We should revisit that. But you never, you know what? Here's the thing. Who read it's the Gen funny. X 1998 annual? Certainly not me at the time. So, you know. <laughs> Me, maybe in like 2002. Yeah, the Gen X annual that I remember is the one where despair, like D, yes, yeah, apostrophe S P A Y R E, makes them fight those ghosts of the Hellions. And I loved the Hellions. Oh, I love that stuff, one, is amazing. So I was like, yeah, it's super cool. That one is good. There's like a lot of good Emma stuff, Emma and Sean stuff going through mm-hmm. Generation X. That's a ship that I love. <laughs> so do the kids of Generation X. When they were at the gala, I was like, Yes, mm-hmm. this this is what I want. Especially now that Emma knows about Moira. Right. Can you imagine? Yeah. And like can't tell Sean? That's dark. That is dark, actually. <laughs> I hadn't I had not thought about that, but like damn. Sean is like another character Chamber is one of those characters that I think always has the same face, regardless of what artist is drawing him which well I he's got he's only got he only got half of it he's all so. yeah right but like skin kind of goes through like a total you no know, skin looks different based on whoever's drawing him yeah and we've already talked about monet whose ethnicity runs a gamut of artistic interpretation yeah and sean his jaw kind of expands and diminishes based on like how much of a cop he's being here's the thing about that though that's also <laughs> just like how much hgh are you taking which is a very <laughs> contemporary problem well he has to like keep up with all these kids yeah i'm saying like long before the time of gay men and mm-hmm. also people just observing the marvel cinematic universe were debating right. the use of steroids sean was on it sean was cycling up and down and his jaw was shifting <laughs> yeah his hairline looks great though so good for him that's the that's usually the tell anyway that's not canon by the way guys there were no right. there was no there was no steroid storyline in generation x we're just we're, we're just that's just jokes 
Um, <laughs> but uh, so Paige comes back. Jono is kind of a fucking idiot. About he's it weird about really it. Awkward. He's like, I thought she was going away forever. That's why I said like a heart. But now she's back. And I don't know if I'm ready to be in like a serious relationship. So then when she hooks up with this human student, he's like all super pissed about it. It's like, well, if you wanted to date her, you just needed to tell her because she was ready to date you. You could have just t- taken her on a date. Oh, I'm a monster. No, my hideous. I'm so ugly. I can't. And of course, the boy that she goes on a date with is like a poster child for Aryan youth. So. Yeah, no, he Sorry. looks fully Yugend, not to be rude, but like it's a lot. <laughs> So it's not subtle. He's not really like a subtle character. No, and he has a similar like you're just a fucking idiot arc in like the Brian Wood era after yeah. after Sink dies. There's this whole arc where Chamber. I guess it's just like one issue. I forget. Yeah, which so one there's is. like it's this, in the late seventies. Full- there's this deaf girl, Rana, who's super cool. She's like a goth chick who's deaf. Yeah. And so the fact that she can hear him because he communicates telepathically is super wild to her. And they meet in a record store. Mm-hmm. You know? It's um, is that wood or is that the worn? That was like it's the four both. days. It's both. It's it's oh, right. it's wood. It's Brian Wood and Warren Ellis. It yeah. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's Counter X, which is like this moment where Warren Ellis supervised, masterminded. They credited him as mastermind in the uh, table of contents. Um, which yeah, some edgy X Men books that nobody is really into. Although I think that the X Men. Go to the Nate Gray episode I did with Zach Jenkins if you're curious. The X-Man Counter X is fully, completely fucking insane, but in a way that's kind of fun. Counter X Gen X, I think, is actually pretty good. I do. I did I did really like it, but it is um there's like, like a six month gap reactions jump. to it is yeah, like very yeah. funny. Um but yeah, it's, I like the it's four days because each issue is like a different student's um, adventures on that same day. Mm-hmm. So you kind They're of all the... like coping with the death of Sink. And he has this sort of flirtation with this girl and she really likes him. Yeah. They have like a beautiful, perfect day. The kind that you really can only have like as a teen. Yeah. And again, like it's really exciting to her to be able to communicate with him telepathically because she's clearly like a very comfortable, like, deaf person like it doesn't seem like she's i'm sure she is doing asl and lip reading or whatever else most of the time but it's just a cool sensation she's like oh wow we can do this i mean she's scared at first but then it's interesting to her and then they just get to talking and they really like each other and it's very much this like though like oh you're fucked up too kind of kinship from chamber side i think yeah he's like we're both disabled it's basically sort of like his thought process yeah and she's like oh hottie right she's not thinking of it that way right no yeah she's like oh gotta get home before my mom worries right she's like oh i gotta go so she gives him her number and her address which is like come pick me up we'll go on a date and he promises he'll write her but then he's like it couldn't lead to anything um too hideous it will never like throws it out and he throws it out dramatically we never see her again which is a shame because i like that yeah i was she was if anybody writes him again (laughs) in like a more ongoing way that would be a fun pull to like bring that character back somehow yeah i i did really like it because it was very much like sort of like an earth-shattering kind of human-to-human connection on Chambers' part, but you could tell it was just, like, kind of a cool day for, like, the normal Yeah, for Rana, she's just like, 
this guy's really hot. Oh, hot guy at the record store. All right, all right. And he has a power that lets me communicate in a new way that's kind of exciting to me. That's interesting. Yeah. He should take me to dinner and I'll see if I actually like him. Like, that's sort of her perspective on it. And he's like, oh, I can't because I can't even You eat. will never love me, Rana. So I'm throwing out your address. It's like, she didn't, she wasn't asking to marry her. It was just like, take yeah. me to dinner. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, so he kind of like... Yeah, you know. Um. And then the book ends with Professor Xavier inviting Chamber to graduate to the X-Men in the way that Cannonball did out of X-Force. And I, I do have to say, it's not like you get a diploma when you leave. So I have no idea, like, are they supposed to get jobs? You know, like, did we graduate? And they kind of talk about how they weird do it is. talk about how weird it is because what's actually happened, like, this is an out of story problem, which is that what's actually happened is that Joe Casada has hired Grant Morrison to relaunch the entire franchise. Right. And Gen X has therefore been canceled because Morrison is about to do something different with the Xavier school. Mm-hmm. So you gotta get rid of all these characters. But there's no particularly coherent way to do it. And Joe Casey presumably asked to use Chamber Mm -hmm. for his uncanny run. So that's the resolution here is Chamber gets invited to join the X-Men. And all of the Gen X kids are really excited for him, Mm -hmm. but they then all decide to go off and do different things because they've really fallen out of love with Sean and Emma at this point. Yeah, well, Sean is like an uh, alcoholic depressive. Yeah, well, Moira point. Moira has been ostensibly killed. Sean has fallen completely deeply into a bottle. And they all find out that Emma killed Adrienne with, and lied to them about it. Uh, Which, like... Um... Uh, Adrienne <laughs> had to go. Adrienne had to go. And these kids should be a little more understanding, in my opinion. But I get yeah, that but she you know, did lie young. to them about it. And they're young and, you know, whatever. And the, sorry, I just thought about Leech and Artie, who were just living in a treehouse for a while and then the attic. Yeah. Emma and Sean just really taking care of these kids. <laughs> Listen, give them a home, you know. But so it ends with Chamber being like, hell yeah, I guess I'm going to join the X-Men, sort of. Well, everyone else is like, hell yeah, you're going to join the yeah, X-Men. Yeah, they're all really he's, happy for him. And he's, and like, he's like, yeah, I am yeah, going to join I am. the X-Men. I'm going to do it. But then. And then, No. We jump to Uncanny X-Men 395. This is the first Joe Casey arc, Poptopia. And we see that Jono has completely ignored the letter after lying to all his friends and saying he was going <laughs> to take it. And has instead gone back to London. To just fuck around. Yeah, well, he doesn't, he doesn't think he deserves to be an X-Man and like all of this stuff. So he goes back to London. He's like in the clubs. I think this kind of also introduces something that I think is done better with maybe other mutants. And I think Christina Strain does better in her run on gen x but the sort of ambivalence about whether or not he also wants to be fighting so much especially posts like sync yes i think one of the interesting things about skin is that he just does not want to be a superhero and so after Mm -hmm. sync dies and they're all like our teachers have fallen apart skin's like all right jubilee you want to drive back out to la where we're from and like i'll get a job and we could like get an apartment and she's like sure because i'm 15 (laughs) (laughs) by that point the sliding time scale has made them all the same age and i like (laughs) you just have to go with it no i know but it's just sort of like sure i don't have a high school diploma or anything going on why not well she goes i'm gonna be an actress that's the you know (laughs) yeah we go into what happens to them in the skin episode. But for Jono, he goes back to England and he is in the club scene that presumably he comes out of, given the way he... Right. I think um, that's definitely something that I understand why it wasn't really a big thing up until Warren Ellis, because I didn't really feel like any of the 
people writing Gen X had a particularly good like nightlife, uh, like background. an ear to the ground. Yeah, yeah for uh, <laughs> you know the 1970s uh, British punk goth scene. Yeah, you know uh, I I actually kept an eye out for this because I wanted to come up with like a list of bands that really get mentioned, and it's really. It's like Susie and the Banshees in one Warren Ellis one, mm-hmm. the, the record store one. Yeah. And then he has a Smith's tattoo. Yeah, which is very <laughs> Spotted by Eyeboy. Um, so it's like, it's it's what you would expect, but it's just... Having uh, a Smith's tattoo is like a very relatable prop. <laughs> like, I don't have a Smith's tattoo. I'm just saying like... But it is a relatable... Being like a teenager who gets a Smith's tattoo and then finds out Morrissey is a racist feels like a very <laughs> like punk experience that a lot of people had I, i'm like yeah that's definitely krakoa era chamber like what the fuck what the fuck get my tattoo covered up because morrissey can't <laughs> shut his fucking gob yeah so i it was really cool to kind of see that actually be a part of his characterization mm-hmm. as opposed to just like he is a cool badass yeah so in uncanny he's back sort of like slumming around in the clubs but he ends up protecting international British pop star Sugar Kane from a bunch of aggressive dudes at the club. Who, it's just such a weird amalgamation of different pop stars. It is very strange. She's like Kylie Minogue and the Sugar Babes and Britney Spears, sort of all right. at once. Like she's every like, Sugar Babe. Maybe but an one. Iron Fist tattoo on her stomach, but only in like one issue. Yeah. Anyway, she's great. She's very girls allowed. It's like that kind of, but like with a with a harder edge. Like she's she's sort of portrayed as they say her music is bubblegum pop, but she's courting controversy in a way that is more. Uh, I mean, right. they compare her to Madonna a lot. Like it's that, but she definitely has the Britney. Um... Well, what's interesting is that it's kind of Gaga before Gaga in some way. Well, she's got the the red like she wears the Britney, suit that Britney uh, has yeah suit yeah. That was the one that really I was like, oh, because I was um I was a real like oh I don't. <laughs> the other reason I really like Jono's because I was a real hipster asshole. Just it was uh, like I don't like pop music, right? Like yeah, I was like oh I don't like pop music, and then I got really into NSYNC. So jokes on me. There you go. Um, yeah, <laughs> Joey Fatone is staring at me from the wall behind you. <laughs> That was, that was um, a gift from a coworker who knew about my NSYNC um, loves. But a friend did gift me a bargain bin Chris Kirkpatrick for my birthday one year in high school. So, you know. So I really liked Chamber because I, too, listened to a lot of sad indie rock music. Sure. Like, that's, that's not necessarily what my hipster bag was, but it was very much like, yeah, I feel you. Fuck. I was a PJ Harvey gay, so I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, PJ Harvey is definitely like the... Jono listens to PJ Harvey. Yeah. I mean, my first concert when I was 18 was a New Year's show by Patti Smith, so like, I get it. My first concert was the Lilith Fair because my dad <gasps> thought it was important for me to have strong female role models. Oh, I love and your that's dad. That's why I'm gay. Wow, <laughs> I love a dad taking his little gay daughter to Lilith Fair. That is yeah, the the first one. That's so. called an ally. He truly was. That's my was... dad buying me Chris Claremont X Men comics. Frankly. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. My dad buying me the full run of. Claremont and Davis Excalibur in back issue because I yes, loved it so much. That's like gay that's what an ally does. Is what that is. 
<laughs> um, so rereading this, I was sort of, I was a little concerned because I was like, I remember liking a lot of this stuff, but I also was like, fuck pop music. Right. But I actually thought Sugarcane and that whole plotline was really great. Like, I I gotta any- say, I love her. I think she's a great yeah. character. She's way more self-aware than I was expecting from like, I'm a sexy pop star. Mm-hmm. And, now she, and then by the end, she's like, you're right. I am just using you because I know it's all a capitalist sham. Yeah. So I want, so I honestly like I'm longing a little bit for like a Sugarcane and Dazzler collab mm-hmm. or something like bring Sugarcane back and make it like a unity tour kind of thing. I was going to say, well, with the sliding timeline, that's now the nostalgia tour. That's like, But that's what I'm saying like, is they're yeah, both premium like, time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So Sugarcane is really taken with Jono because he's a hot guy with a star in his chest. Yeah, what's not to like? She is written in the way that a lot of the fangirls who liked him in these comics felt about him, in the way that women readers also felt about Gambit. It's done in kind of a clever way where she's just like, wow, like this freakish mutant is actually gorgeous, you know? Like, And so they start (laughs) fucking... There's a great bit where... She's like, you may not have a mouth, but there's plenty you can do for me with your hands. And there's plenty I can do for you. And then you cut to him like asleep with a handcuff half fastened (laughs) around his wrist. Yeah, that's definitely like definitely growing Jono up like right there. Oh, he gets to fuck now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's when Bobby and Kurt find him (laughs) because the X-Men are looking for him because he hasn't answered Professor X's invitation to join the X-Men. Right. And um, I love this, too, because um, every time Jono's storyline kind of intersects with Bobby, it's always some like, like hindsight, you were a shady bitch, Bobby Drake, like Mm -hmm. panels where he's like, wearing, like he's trying to dress European style so he can aggressively hit on a waitress kind of thing. And even Nightcrawler is like, please tone it down. There's (laughs) just a great bit where... Jono is so fucking stupid because like here's the thing like the Gen X people don't the Gen X kids didn't know the X-Men that well so like he doesn't no. even know Nightcrawler and there's this moment where he goes oh whatever <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what it's like I can't stand a queue at the market without getting spit on it doesn't matter how I wrap myself up and I'm sick of it I'm not Scott Summers with his perfect face and his cool shades and Nightcrawler's just like uh it's like are you fucking bruh. kidding me Mine got. Who do you think you are talking to? They were going to drive a stake through my heart at Winseldorf. They called me a monster. <laughs> I am not fun to hide who I am, but I'm aware of the world we live in. What you are doing is not the way to change things. This is such like a dude's rock storyline. Also, Sugarcane is great and I love her, but... But this is a dude's rock storyline for sure. <laughs> like, Bobby, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler are getting together to sort of like... Work Jono, like, help Jono through what's going to be the first, like, horrendous heartbreak of his life that they can all see coming, like, a billion miles away. And the (laughs) B-plot is them in the sewers beneath London trying to save the London Morlocks from this really scary, talk about Aryan looking The London uglier Morlocks. Yeah, well, they're they're uglier here, right, yes. (laughs) They were very clear. That's stressed many times. But um, but yeah, so there's like a sort of mini mutant massacre here led by mm-hmm. this guy, Mr. Clean, who is a very scary blonde dude with a flamethrower who's working for the Church of Humanity, Casey's new antagonist, who, as I said in the Stacey X episode, are super, super cool until Chuck Austin takes over the book and makes them Ugh. one of the worst villain groups ever to appear in an X-Men comic. But, there's um, some great art, too, and yeah. like the Casey Church 
stuff. The stuff by Ashley Wood is like mm-hmm. breathtaking and terrifying. It's so good. I do. I love the Chamber is definitely a character that kind of could lend himself more to horror storylines. Like there, there's like one Gen X book where M play is mm-hmm. like fading in and out like a horror movie. You just sort of see him in the background of like a normal storyline and stuff. I love that stuff. And I love the, the, the horror church stuff here. Too. Yeah. But yeah, so they're like Wolverine is like, oh, gotta adopt another troubled teen. Yes. This time he's a boy, but I will do it. The sugarcane <laughs> stuff is really interesting because she's fed it. She's like basically her career looks like it's doing really great but privately her sales are actually falling because she's kind of last year's news and so she dates Jono because the thing that's interesting about Marvel Britain actually and this comes up the London Morlocks when Mm -hmm. the X-Men come to save them one of them goes these X-Men they exist and someone else goes I've never seen them I heard Captain Britain talk about them on Radio 1 once like I love that. There aren't that many mutants in England. That's been a thing, and it's established in 80s Excalibur, too. Like, Di Thomas can't believe that these mutants are causing superhero problems in his country now. (laughs) It's a thing. So to Sugarcane, because it's not... I mean, it feels like something of a take on the difference between British and American race relations, right? Oh, I could see that, yeah. Like, not to suggest that Britain doesn't have racism, because that would be fully insane, but I'm just saying the way that this story is handled, it's more about her fetishizing him as, like, Mm -hmm. an exotic bit of interest. Yeah, like, it's so scandalous. And the tabloid press, particularly, like, the Daily Mail and all of those people jumping on the scandalousness of, like, the interracial relationship here, essentially. It has like a Prince Harry and Meghan Markle vibe, like this. Yeah, here, once once you, know? you said that, I was like, yeah, because there's like a great cover of mm-hmm. Poptopia that's a tabloid cover where Jono is shoving the paparazzi camera out of the way, and it's like mutant dating pop star, right? Um, and we get all of that sort of like meta narrative newspapers and stuff. There's a great bit where they're drinking in her limo and he goes, some people look at me like I'm scum. Others are congratulating me and they really love you. And she says, of course they do, John. I've been marketed that way. I'm a fad. <laughs> I know that. I've been sculpted to please the right demo and it's made us all stinking rich because this fad is what's in. It's not like kids have a choice anymore. Six transnational corporations run everything now. I'm just part of the system. I the fact that this comic that. is from 20 years ago. I I'm know. Like, I was Sugar, reading that. You like, don't oh, have no. any idea what's about to happen. Oh, honey, it just gets worse. This is before Disney acquires Marvel. Right. Yeah, I tweeted. I was like, what would the sliding time scale have this? What's like the 2022 right. equivalent? Is she an influencer? Is she Absolutely. Julia Fox? Like, you know. I think if you did this story now, she'd be a Kardashian. She'd be like Kylie yeah. Jenner. I think it was uh, maybe an Ariana Grande, Pete Davidson kind of kind of that could work but... too. Yeah, yeah. It's just so funny, and it's just such a yes, yeah, just such a dude's rock. All all three X Men in London are just like, man, this is gonna suck for him, but we're gonna <laughs> let you make your own. They keep choice. telling him they're like, she is using you, and he's like, no. Oh, I don't believe you. But you know he does know. Which yes. I like. And like, but there, and there's a, there's like a great moment where she says to the press, you want to say hello to my latest flame? He's got stylish jeans. That's for sure. Wink. <laughs> because again, like mutants are exciting to Britain. I mean, one of the things that I liked in um, 
Martini's Excalibur is that when she brought back the strike agents, it's like, of course, the telepathic strike agents are mutants, but it was never said in the Captain Britain comics because Marvel UK didn't have mutants in it. Right. (laughs) Betsy isn't called a mutant until she pops up in X-Men comics. So England's just not on top of this shit. It's why Pixie's arc is always very funny because like, the thing with Pixie is they don't care that she's a mutant. What they would care about is if they knew she's a fairy. Because that's ah, a real right. problem so- in England. <laughs> <laughs> so- right, of course. Yeah, so he he's, and he's like into it because like it actually digs into like why he would be okay with that. Even though he's like, he's clearly deluding himself. But like why this would be so attractive to him. Because he's like a club kid. Right. Who, even though he doesn't like her music, which he's just. He's such an asshole. I do love assholes. He is an asshole, but she likes that though. She likes that he doesn't like her yeah. music. Like she kind of likes. She does like him. Yeah. And she's also like, she likes that he's not like a sycophant because she's tired right. of that, you know, but where it ends up falling apart is, and she has a bigoted, her manager is bigoted against mutants and makes that yeah, very I mean, clear to Jono. So that's like another plot that's going on here. What happens that pushes it too far is that the British tabloid press, which is absolutely worse than the American tabloid press, which is bad. The American tabloid press is bad. The British tabloid press is something else. And this arc does underline that. And again, it's like a very prescient. This is before like the phone tap scandal and all of that stuff. This is, you know, this is a pretty prescient story about British pop culture. So the Daily Mail or whoever, like the stand-in in this story, reports that Sugar is pregnant with Jono's child. And now, this is why I think it really is, this is played as like a race thing. Right. So before when it was fun and quirky and like but now uh, it's marketable like and exotic. Our like white blonde pop star we're all into is pregnant by this mutant. This Which visible I mutant. I think is also a little complicated because she has like these hulking bald black bodyguards that really (laughs) that are also very anti-mutant so yeah this interesting there's a lot going on here i'm not saying that it's some yeah it's not a one-to-one it's not a one-to-one but in terms of the tabloid grossness that casey is playing with he's definitely drawing on the way that stuff like the sun or the daily mail will will race in like a very you know it just sort of complicates some of some of the things I think he's trying to do. Mutants and race are always going to be complicated, and no one right. makes the explicit comparison in the story. Thankfully, right? Yeah. It's just sort of something right. that's there if you want it to be there. But it's just sort of like the only black characters you really see are sort of like these hulking like bodyguard yeah. muscles. Yeah. So it's kind of like oh, so close, and sometimes so far. She says to him, "My whole life is going straight to hell." Is this how you felt, John? Is this what your whole life is about? The whole world turning on you? I don't think I can take it. And then what happens, and this is like a like a really fun this, soap opera kind of plot. This part is so nonsensical. <laughs> First, and this really this this is a really hurtful thing she says, is mm-hmm. he's like, he turns to her and his chest glows, and she goes, Hey John, can you turn down the lights for a sec? I don't need a reminder. And that really hurts his feelings. But then she gets kidnapped by... Robots? Like... Her manager? It's basically But there's also an implication that it's the British government. The whole thing is like her manager conspires with whoever it is who is interested in getting rid of this story. Right. Has her (laughs) kidnapped and 
it's then verified by the government that she was never pregnant because everyone's like, we sugar cane, have an abortion. They say the word abortion, which actually I had forgotten. And it kind of Yeah, I was me. surprised to see that. But yeah, I was like, did the manager like pay MI6 to kidnap a pop star so they could forcibly pregnancy test her? Love it. Sim Cummings, the manager, mm-hmm. he has this really, like when they ask about the abortion, what he says, and this is again, like this is in that period that's post-Comics Code pre-Disney acquisition where like some of the stuff that gets through standards and practices in this era is really kind of startling. He says, well, nothing has been proven yet on the subject of Sugar's condition, but as a hypothetical, I think it's our duty as human beings to curtail this so-called evolutionary process by any means necessary so he goes on the bbc and is like yeah if she's pregnant we'll abort it like because it's a because mutant baby Ooh. right so like that's yeah. that's again like i mean it just yeah. i was thinking because it's the big like british tabloid thing that's been in the news like it did have me thinking about the whole conversation that oprah interview the whole thing of like the royals allegedly asking prince harry if oh he yeah was worried what Absolutely. his baby with Meghan markle was going to look like like that's definitely what's being played with here is the kind of quieter british racism that is just as poisonous you know like because it but that is framed as like we're just asking questions it's polite right and i think that whole storyline is really buoyed by the the uk morlock story right yeah which is like the the b plot going on underneath it all right so not only are you getting sort of this softer more implicit racism that's going on with jono you see also sort of the example of what's going on and what that racism is sort of covering up or racism, mutant phobia, I don't know. Yeah, and so (laughs) Chamber and Sugar have like a last sort of confrontation where she says, and I think this is just a really good scene, which the dialogue's Mm -hmm. great. She says, I have to take care of myself, you know. Don't let the charts fool you. I was on my way out. Kobe Lee's party? I would never would have gotten in there on the old good girl rep. My image needed an edge. You gave me one, which is like this takes me to like a place of like Miley Cyrus bangers, right? Like Yeah, Miley Cyrus, Ariana Grande. Lots of artists have had that like bad girl album or whatever where they traffic in like a minority thing to get attention Mm -hmm. and then they drop it. Oh yeah, time to twerk. Right. He goes, you used me. And she goes, look, my career, in quotes, doesn't have much of a shelf life if I don't evolve. Teen pop is so six months ago and I won't end up in the where are they now file. And don't act like you didn't get something out of it, John. You know you did. And it's true. And he says, maybe. I never wanted to be a star, sugar. I never cared about how famous you are. I just wanted to belong somewhere. And she says, no one belongs here, John. I saw my soul to go platinum. Take care of yourself. Find a home, a real home, if you can. And that's what compels him to listen to Kurt's advice and join the X-Men sucks when all three of your dads are right yeah but it's like also her honesty where she's just like because yeah she did use him but he used her and she likes him and he likes her but they shouldn't be together and he needs to leave because the lifestyle she leads is disgusting and he needs to not be around her and i think well like her normativity too i think is something that then gets picked up on and another storyline with him on the x-men why is he seeking out this sort of validation from a human, like the, the one of the most normative humans you could possibly be dating, right? Right. <laughs> so I really do love that they kind of leave it on equal footing. Yeah, I, I think it's just a really great arc for him. For me, that and the Chamber mini that comes shortly after that, that yeah. Brian K. Vaughn does are the really like characterizing right. things for Chamber. 
So I think that's sort of the flip side. Yeah. So like of, just to get it. there really quick, the next few arcs yeah. are X Corps with Banshee. Go back to yeah. uh, when Banshee becomes like a fascist cop. He's gone crazy because Moira died. I will say I wish that we had gotten a little more reaction from Chamber to Skin dying during that arc. Yeah, but unfortunately, that really felt like well, a, I mean, yeah, that's yeah. but that's Chuck Austin, and he doesn't care. So you know, like, because yes, I know. <laughs> but before this is still Joe Casey. Um, mm-hmm. Jono and Husk reunite during the X Corps arc. She's kind of miffed about the whole sugarcane thing. He tells her, "I was thinking of you the whole time, honest." Which is like, shut up, Jono, you fucking jerk. But then he is the one because of his telepathy who finds Lady Mastermind. Well, it's not. It's Mastermind Two, Martinique. Right. One of the ladies' mastermind who's been chained up in the basement to do illusions. And uh, she draws him into her astral trap, and they have kind of an interesting interaction. Um, but none of this super matters. And it's just just another telepath telling Jono to get on that telepathy shit. Yeah. And uh, he has a little jaunt with Nightcrawler. He has a heart-to-heart with Stacey X. He and Stacey have a really fun kind of friendship that I really like. I'd and love they're to kind see of both the outsiders on the yeah. screen, right? He, res- he, like, she's upset that he contacted her telepathically without permission, and he stresses yeah. to her, oh, I did it because you're, like, the only one who takes me seriously. I loved that. Like, my heart grew a little It's size. good. It's good. It's really good. That's when Joe Casey leaves, and Austin takes over. Chamber pivots into, he, like, goes to college, quote-unquote, but he's actually pivoting into the Brian K. Vaughn and Lee Ferguson miniseries, the Chamber Solo mini, which is kind of wild. Right. It's great. I love this book. I think it's excellent. It sort of picks up on that sugarcane stuff. So they're mm-hmm. going to, what's the fake university name? Empire, Empire State University. That's been the fake one since the 60s. Yeah. So they're going to Empire State University. It's NYU, basically. He's uh, incognito as a mutant student coming in on a mutant scholarship. So, you know, we're going to get right into affirmative action. Right. Empire State University has decided to invite like 20 mutant students, openly mutant students, to join the school. Mm -hmm. The main characters that we get to know here are Amber, who is a visible mutant. She has kind of like a reptilian mutation that's very elaborate but she's still pretty cute she's gorgeous she's very cute but yeah she's very but much... she looks like species like she doesn't yeah. look human you know right definitely she has opted out of like a campus war between the two mutant advocacy groups one of which is like mutants for peace or whatever which is led by this guy and his human girlfriend Gigi as like a gay straight alliance kind of thing. And then there's mm-hmm. also an org called the Magnetic North that is like inspired by the teachings of Magneto. You know, so it's your uh, your on-campus college Dems versus your college DSA, I Right, guess. and then like Purity from Mechanics also pops up here as like mm-hmm. the young Republicans, essentially, in that right. allegory. Amber isn't really interested in either of them. She just, like, wants to go to school and, like, be... She's in the chess club. Yeah, like, she doesn't want to fight over, like, their political arguments. Six of the mutant students, including the leader of... I think it might even be, like, Mutants for Tolerance. It's... I don't don't remember what it's called. But it's, like... it's But it's to make you cringe, right? Like, how... How like milk toast it is. But for some inexplicable reason, the like more extreme guys are just 
beating the shit out of each other. So. Right, and like he and five of the other mutant students are suddenly killed in an explosion. The implication is that a mutant did it, so Chamber investigates. He thinks Magnetic North must have done it to try and like seize control of the discourse or whatever. <laughs> I, it's a good, I, this is sounding like no. it's not good, but it is good. And it's like a four-issue mini and you should read it. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it definitely it shows its age a little bit, but it is good. And it, it's it's good because he's still kind of an asshole. I like that. That's sort of the, the characterization yes. line is that he's kind of just like a bro. Well, because like basically yeah. what the, the subplot is that he gets a crush on Amber's roommate, mm-hmm. who's just like a hot chick. But he's sort of flirting with Amber, who's clearly flirting with him. But he won't go there with Amber because she's a lizard. And right. he's very attracted to her roommate, who's just like a hot girl who looks like a human. The reveal at the end is that... Plot twist. Yeah, is that Amber's mutant power involves subconscious shape-shifting in her sleep, and that the roommate he's met and perceived is actually her. And she rejects him because he was only attracted to her in her human-looking form. And he tries to make it seem like he's attracted to her wonderful power, too. He's like, why didn't you tell me? You were so amazing. And she's and like, she's like, shut up, asshole. Yeah, it's because like, I wanted you to like me without knowing that I could look human. Yeah. Um, and so and you don't. Chamber so learns goodbye. a lesson. I don't want to see you again. Right. And like for him, as like somebody who's always complaining about being a visible mutant, it's a good arc, especially because like he is a visible mutant, but not if he wears his little scarf. Whereas right. she is green and has like a crest on her head instead of hair. Like she can't hide unless she masters her shape-shifting ability, but she hasn't at this point, yeah. right? The reveal is that what happened actually was that Gigi's boyfriend who heads up the tolerance group with her lost control of his power, which is very similar to Chambers' power. In fact, it might be exactly like his power as he investigates. Right. And the guy exploded and killed those other students by accident. And Gigi, because she was afraid that it would lead to the mutant students getting banned from Empire State, lied and said they'd been attacked by anti-mutant bigots. This is an interesting arc. It's just like, what does that mean? What is the allegory here? I don't know, and I, I encourage people to write essays on this four-issue miniseries, but... It is, it, I do think this does tie into, like, sort of a recent discourse, which is, and, like, a forever discourse, which is, like, how strongly can you map these mutant allegories? Right. And does it fall apart because mutants could actually be dangerous, and it sort of ends with Amber being the only mutant who ends up staying at the school. Yeah, because the Empire State does, like... Is like, ooh, we don't want students to be exploding. Without saying it that way, they do, like, quietly get rid of all the others who were involved in this political conflict, and Amber is the only one who's asked to stay. It does raise these sort of questions, and, like, would it be possible for some of those mutants to have ever lived, like, going to a normal school versus, like, being trained by the X-Men and all of that stuff. The question of like, is this a gay allegory or a race allegory or an anti-Semitism allegory or whatever, when it is a fact that some mutants do explode. Right. That is the question that makes the mutant metaphor imprecise. And I think it's, I, I love the fact that that's what this mini tried to tackle. But yeah, this leaned into that and said, it's still wrong to kick these mutant students out, even if they are dangerous, because you can't do that based on a circumstance of someone's birth that they don't control. It is still racist in whatever sense or bigoted in whatever sense, even if 
they are potentially dangerous. Like you should have an infrastructure in place that can protect everybody and make everything safe perhaps. But like you can't, even if they are dangerous, it doesn't justify keeping them away from access to education or anything else. Yeah. Should we, um, should we like skip ahead? Yeah, we're going to skip ahead now because this is where he goes to Weapon X. Yeah. So he, he gets his face back by being another, he's like, again, going undercover. Yeah. Weapon X rebuilds his face and gives him like a little like arc reactor in his chest that lets him direct his blasts in a more normal way. I think this really illustrates um, something I was talking to Connor about when we were gearing up for this episode is that I love Chamber in part because he's got so much potential as a character. Like already we've gone over sort of the different ways his characterization and his mutation and and circumstances can really be used. And then like in these overarching Marvel storylines, but also the characterization that that kind of brings to him. And here it's just like got my face back. And we don't really, he's like looking in the mirror. He's like, I'll look great. And like, that's it. And then he's eating and I'm like, where the fuck are your organs? What? Well, they rebuild his organs too. I don't look. Like, I guess. The is, it's, it's, <laughs> here's the thing, guys. Frank Thierry, by all accounts, nice guy. Follows me on Twitter. Frank, if you're listening. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but, but I just don't like this comic book. <laughs> I don't like the Thierry Weapon X. I don't like it. And yeah. just like marrow being turned hot by the weapon x program i think misses the point of that character chamber being turned hot by the weapon x program in like a normative way i think misses the point of this character and if they were going to dig into that and like what are his psychological evolutions from this like how is he reacting to this it just never goes like it would really fuck you up i don't know he's undercover trying to help the x-men learn about the new weapon x program he ends Mm -hmm. up disappearing while investigating neverland which is weapon x's death camp that they are and then he's suddenly interrupted by and (laughs) yeah well so like they brainwash him mesmero brainwashes him briefly into like being a loyal Weapon X agent. But then none of that matters because the decimation hits. And in Generation M number one, the most dramatic decimation we see is Chambers because when his chest star blinks out, he is just a guy with a huge hole in his chest and no lower face. And he's immediately put on emergency life support because he's dying. Yeah, and Scott's immediately like, we're going to deal with this. We're going to figure it out. Yeah, because, like, basically, when the powers blinked out, some of them also, like, spiked right before it happened. Right. So his, like, his chest and face explode again, and then the fire's out. So So now he's he's just just got this giant... It's really grotesque, It's It's horrible to look at. I I hate Generation M. Go back to the Stacey X episode for more on Generation M, the travails of Sally Floyd, a character I hate. But Thierry then moves to New Excalibur because Chris Claremont had a stroke and had to take a couple months off while he recovered. So Frank Thierry does right. some issues so, of New Excalibur and Chamber pops up there. Just, and like, this is probably, this to me was the wildest episode, um, the wildest issue in all of the issues we went through just because of like how much shit it changed and then how little it mattered in the grand scheme of things. Like, literally not at all. So in Weapon X, we saw some flashbacks to Jono's great-grandfather. Sir, never before mentioned. Yeah, no, series. it's a total retcon. Jono's great-grandfather, 
Jack Starsmore was this cultist of Klanakaba who like tattooed him as a child and like all of this and would tell him we are descendants of the mutant god Unsabanur and like all of this shit that was never part of the character previously. So you think he would have been a little more prepared for his yeah, <laughs> you would think. You'd also think that this would have come up at literally any point in which he was operating with the X-Men, given that Apocalypse was a huge villain of the 90s. Any moment at all. So they they drag his, like, desiccated body. Klanakaba kidnaps him from hospital because he's in hospital. I love that British people just say in hospital. If you listen to uh, the Bravo podcast, Sexy Unique podcast, my friend Carrie O'Donnell always says in hospital when anybody's in hospital. And that's all I can think about. This guy, Frederick Slade, who is related to Blink, this whole arc with Klanakaba does not go anywhere. So don't worry about it. But there was this moment where it was like certain mutant characters that you know and love are descended from Apocalypse, which, yeah, most characters who are mutants who we know of should be descended (laughs) from like... All white people on Earth, I've mentioned, I mentioned this in the Celine episode, all white people on Earth alive today are descended from Charlemagne because at a certain point, like, common ancestors are pretty recent. So there's no reason, like, there were, like, a bunch of plagues, right? So it's like, (laughs) at at this point, there's, you know... But unlike Charlemagne, Clan Akaba has the blood of Apocalypse, right? Right, and Apocalypse here, it, it is said here that Chamber is a direct descendant of Apocalypse, which makes him enormously, like, just like a patrilineal all the way down descent of apocalypse directly which makes him special to clan akaba weird that this white guy is that figure but whatever apocalypse's race is something that's always been a little bit like hmm, complicated yeah. i think he's emphatically black now but i don't think they were thinking yes. about this at the time absolutely it was not considered right like he was gray to them yeah he was like a blue guy right yeah so Chamber becomes a blue guy. They give Chamber a big blood transfusion of Apocalypse's blood, and he mutates into a mini Apocalypse. He looks like Evan Sabiner, that clone who comes in later. Yeah, but with better hair, for sure. For sure. But he's gray. He has the blue lips. Uh, that with, Chins, the, with the side, with the yeah, with the lines on the side, and a huge tattoo on his chest. And he's like, "What do you want from me?" And they're like, "That's it." Oh, nothing. You can leave now. We just wanted you to embrace your heritage or whatever. And then Peter Wisdom shows up and is like, hey, hey, you want to join M13? And he's like, fuck everyone. Yeah. He's like, no. And he leaves. So, yeah, bizarre, bizarre twist that goes nowhere. And he's like, I don't even want to fight. Maybe I didn't even want powers, which is. Yeah. And this also, like, it doesn't give his powers back. It just heals his body. But they do say at one point they're like. His, his power is latent now, but it could be Omega level now that Apocalypse has been unlocked. That because the thing about Omega level is it didn't mean anything until 2019. It was just a word they used for like the most powerful guys. And that does pop up again once in New Warriors mm-hmm. and then never again, which is the next horrible thing. Well, yeah, so I'd never I'd never read this. Uh, uh, it sucks. And it was just bizarre as hell. I didn't know who anybody was until halfway through because they don't identify anybody but obviously i knew that he was yeah like the gimmick the gimmick is that you're supposed to try to figure out who the characters are but because their new powers from technology have nothing to do with their old powers and none of them look like they used to look and they don't act like the ones that they like, like their previous characterization it's kind of a futile exercise chamber is the one where it's pretty easy to figure out which one is chamber because he's gray yeah, and like he's fine. He gets out pretty unscathed characterization wise. Yeah. But it's, my notes for this are what what the fuck? He what? gets sonic technology implanted in his throat that lets him have banshee or siren powers. He starts going. But they like never decibel. really mention like 
that mentorship line. No, they never mentioned Banshee, which is crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, isn't that why he picked it? And instead, they just picked whatever they thought was kind of cool, I guess. It's bizarre. He does say at one point, like, the only bit of his psychology we get is that like specifically he can create like sonic constructs like they're yeah. sort of almost telekinetic constructs made of sonic yeah, energy like uh armoring yeah and he says that he is excited to create rather than destroy because his mutant power was destructive so that's like the one bit we yeah. get but anyway truly don't worry about <laughs> it this book is i mean he doesn't die so he gets away better than stacy x but this book is otherwise pretty much terrible and you don't have to read it. He then pops up on the Utopia era. The Age of X. Because he's in the Age of X crossover that Mike Carey does. And in that reality warp, he's just chamber again with the powers that yeah, he has. Yeah, he's got his have. powers, no jaw. He still bros with jubes. So yeah. that's kind of nice. But he figures out pretty quick. He's like, he figures out that something is wrong. And he says to Revenant, who appears to be Jean Grey, like that. Mm-hmm. There's something wrong because he's realized like I'm Wait, not isn't specific. she? I thought she's she was actually Rachel. Summers. No, but it's Rachel. Yeah. But okay. it looks like Jean, and it's like that's okay. part of what was trippy about Age of X, right? Because she's in like kind of a phoenix costume, but it turns out it's Rachel's psychic echo from space because she's with the star. Don't do not anyway. Do not worry about any of this. <laughs> the point is that the one significant physical change that lingers from Age of X is that when the Age of X reality warp ends, Chamber is just Chamber again, repowered Chamber style, not Grey, not Decibel, just Chamber a la Gen X and Casey Uncanny and you never have to worry about it again. Yeah, my note is just why did he look like Apocalypse? I, I just, uh, I'm sure that was a plot yeah. line that, you know. I, it just didn't go anywhere. I, I don't know if this is true, but I've also heard that the other physical change that Mike Carey pitched was that Betsy was going to stay in her white body after Age of X and that they didn't uh, do it. would have been great. There are so many times that someone tried to do it and was told no. It is really wild, though, because, like, Jubes doesn't get her powers back this way. No, it's just Chamber. Yeah. And yeah. it's not. But what's weird is, like, it's not because someone wanted to use Chamber because then he doesn't do anything important it's not like somebody wanted to use chamber on a team because he doesn't go anywhere he doesn't do anything again really until christina strains gen x volume 2 in 2017 like we see that he starts teaching after the schism he becomes a teacher at the gene gray school yeah he specifically teaches like visible mutants with physical mutations like coping Mm -hmm. skills and that kind of stuff which is a cute idea for him Right. And I liked that he became a teacher because there had been all of these hints that he didn't actually want to be an X-Man or fight. Right. Or any of that stuff. He shows up, he pops up in Legion for when, in the issue. In In a legacy, yeah. Yeah, X-Men Legacy. But like the the Spurrier Legion Legion Legacy run, yeah. Yeah, in the one issue where every British mutant shows up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. (laughs) which is kind of fun and he shows up a couple other times um you definitely see him in crowd shots all through the academy but he very rarely is interacting well he's a convenient cameo queen because like characters like armor or dust Mm -hmm. pixie he's very like visually striking so you can just throw him in a group shot it's like oh that's chamber and you point at him but you don't have to do anything else he has a more major recurring role in Christina Strain's Gen X Volume 2 in 2017. Which, like, to me was like a homecoming. Like, I love this. I love the Emil Carpina art. I think it kind of has a roughness to it that does sort of remind me a little of what Bachelot was doing at the beginning. And it just, it felt like, you know, kind of going home. 
with Jubilee and Jono being teachers and actually getting to see him as a teacher. Yeah, and it rehabs Husk into the guidance counselor after the Wolverine and yeah. the X-Men arc. Monet, possessed by M-Plate, is the villain of this arc. Mm-hmm. Jono is helping Jubilee, who's still a vampire at this point. He helps her, like, babysit Shogo and stuff because she has a baby now. Yeah. And it's it's just, like, it's clear that they hadn't been in the same... Like, their friendship had continued behind the scenes throughout Right, the years, but they haven't been, like, in close really quarters in again. Yeah, and so suddenly, right. a little older now, there's, like, a romantic spark between them. He's clearly interested in her. It seems like he's interested in doing, like, a family unit thing with the two of them and Shogo. Yeah, he's taking... He's cleaning up baby vomit. Yeah. He's changing diapers. He's watching the kid. And... She's a vampire. He yeah, and there's a moment, him. right, where she's injured and he lets her drink from him and Shogo sees her drinking from him and is very frightened by it and then is frightened of his mother and Chamber has to, like, take care of him for a while because he needs to calm yeah. down. It's, like, sad. And Shogo Jubilee's really upset Jubilee about it. Him. Yeah. But also, like, what a perfect use of your fucking goth. Yes. <laughs> Drink my blood, babe. Right. Yeah. Like, hey, babe, this is the most romantic thing we could be doing right now. And it was. It was very romantic <laughs> to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. There are people who are really into this pairing after this book. And I get that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that Christina Strain does a good job of building it out as like, huh, I'm reconnecting with like a high school classmate in a different way. And I yeah, see him differently now. Like or I that. see her differently now. Particularly because, again, she was so young when they were in Gen X, and now they're both, like, in their theoretical 20s. I mean, she's a vampire, but you get what I'm saying. Right, yeah. Like, there's not so much of a power imbalance yeah. between them. The book ends with Quentin Quire relinquishing his shard of the Phoenix Force. Do not worry about it. That's, like, Phoenix end song, war song stuff. Mm-hmm. And he does show up, like, sort of in the crowds and the... The, a phoenix resurrection story too. oh yeah yeah but i just mean like so so quentin yeah. turns yeah. jubilee back into a human right. and repowers her by giving up his piece of the phoenix force and then she and chamber and shogo who is now no longer afraid of her become kind of like a happy family-ish vibe and the book ends yeah that's kind of the last chamber story so far yeah, I mean, like, he's still kind of in that story, right? So there's yeah. the, the Marvel Voices identity um, with the Asian American character feature. And Christina Strain actually picked him back up again. Mm-hmm. So Jubilee is visiting her parents' grave. And he he's, like, showing up with Shogo so they could have a... Yeah, and between the two mm-hmm. stories there with Jubilee... He's briefly in the Rosenberg uncanny run and dies. Oh, right. He's one of the like many characters that gets killed off in that quick run where everybody was like, how are they? Why are they letting Rosenberg kill off like 20 characters? And it's because Krakoa was right around the corner and they knew that. Oh, he he also dies in um, X-Men Legacy Legion. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah that's true but then legion like fixes the timeline or whatever fixes him back up yeah yeah so he dies twice yeah he was one of the casualties of rosenberg's and like, in rosenberg it's notable he's trying to protect the morlocks because the marauders mm-hmm. are trying to wipe out all the morlocks they didn't get in the original massacre and that's like a very chamber story yeah chamber kills all of the marauders by like overloading his psionic flame and then harpoon who's the only survivor mm-hmm hits him with the energy harpoon, which makes him explode. That is interesting because I did like in Thierry's Weapon X that he was really conflicted about killing um, 
John Sublime. I John forgot. Sublime. Yeah, they send him yeah. to kill John Sublime, which he does. But John Sublime always gets better because John Sublime isn't really a human creature that you can kill. Right. So he was all torn up about it, and I was like, Jono, just read New X Men. Like he'll get better. Yeah, Don't fine. worry about it. It's fine. But like he is definitely somebody I would love to see more of. Like mm-hmm. he, well, he showed up, so he was in. Um, he was in Hickman's New, New Mutants, Mutants, which was a cool bit for him to like be on the New Mutant squad with these people. But he doesn't really do anything. Rod Rice draws the fuck out of him, but yes, there's oh my God, uh, he looks great. But there's not much else going on with him. He's chilling out with Mondo, right? Yeah, and which is great because they never actually hung out. No, ever because of the in... Mondo of it all. But right, <laughs> I uh, but I like this. Just felt like Hickman saying, "I love the Gen X characters, and they are officially peers of the New Mutants in the sliding time scale now. And let's right. just throw them all together." Which I think was a smart thing to do. But because <laughs> that arc has very little room for any of the characters besides Beto and Sam, honestly. Right. Well, you know, I mean, that's... What's with the story? It's a story about them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. And I love them, so... Yeah, and everybody else gets a cute moment or two, but I don't think it's meant to be, like, a full ensemble piece where everyone gets their spotlight. You know what I mean? Right. It's definitely not, like, a that kind of team book. Right. And he's not really on that team either, so that's kind of an interesting... The, the sort of friction there mm-hmm. of... Like, I was a teen mutant superhero, too, but... Right. And I, I do love that, and it's something I would love to see. Like, obviously, everybody wants their faves on Krakoa. Yeah. But I think because of his teacher background, I was a little surprised to not see him pop up a little more post-Hickman's take on New Mutants. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I felt like his... And, and maybe it's because that story has already been done so well in the Gen X volume two. Yeah. With Bling, which I love. His bond with Bling is really cute in that book. The way that Mm -hmm. he sort of relates to her as a visible mutant and the way that he encourages her when she feels like she's being overlooked for X-Men training and all of that is good. Right. And like how to deal with like that fear of being shoved out back into human society Mm -hmm. when... When human society is not going to accept you. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, So... I don't know. I really like him as a teacher and I would love to see that angle explored more because I do think it's like it was kind of a one-off whatever and then he just sort of stuck there. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was like that's a good place to put him. Yeah. The and only... then to bring it back like in Gen X Volume 2 it really felt like we Christina Strain was like weaving together some of these plot threads mm-hmm. to a coherent storyline. So I cannot sing praises of this book enough for people who are we're fans. If you're a fan of Chamber kids. or the Gen X team in general, it's definitely a cute read. And it's only 12 issues, so it's not and a real commitment. It's a lot easier to recommend than some of his other. Yeah. It's a little confusing sometimes to read because there's a at one point it shifts to the legacy numbering. But it mm-hmm. starts as Gen X 2017 or Gen X Volume 2 number one. So just look for that. Yeah. And then just, I don't know, I'm sure there's reading guides around. It shouldn't be uh, that Actually, if you Google Generation X second series uncannyxmen.net, they have a list that shows you exactly where the renumbering yeah. happens. I don't think it's actually on the wiki for Gen X, which is sad. It's it's a little it's just confusing because they did that moment where it was like X it was like Marvel Legacy where they read they right. went back to all the legacy numbers for a couple months. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, he also did show up in a pride storyline. I think he was just dancing with other questionably possibly gay. Whether they're like potentially by mutants yeah. or just like having a having a dance. Yeah. Right. And I was like, that's right. That is where he belongs. Well, I mean, my I will tell you, he was very, very popular with the slash fangirls of the nineties and early aughts. <laughs> For sure. Yes, as as one of them, I'm not shocked. <laughs> um, although I'll be real, he and Nate Gray, he and Nate Gray Ooh, were such a thing in that moment for like slash fangirl. I guess I'm not shocked that Skin is not like a popular fan fiction character for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> I will say, and I I don't talk about specific fanfics on this podcast very often, That's particularly fair. erotic ones. But one of the one of the really like. I feel like every gay X-Men fan on the internet read this when it was a thing. It was like this story called Spring Break that was about Jono and Everett and Skin on yes. like a camping trip. And they have I do remember hot, this filthy thing. sex. And that <laughs> that's the only like Skin gets a turn in this last parade I mean, moment I can think of. But that's like a whole nother pairing opportunity with Everett and Chamber now. I think Skin, yeah, Skin popped up on Krakoa to congratulate um, Skin, Everett. I think, is maybe with Husk now. Like, we see him in the Guthrie home, like, sitting with them for breakfast. And he and they had, like, I, I liked Skin and Husk's flirtation in early Gen X. So I wouldn't be yeah. mad about that. But they're not really around. The, so the last Chamber thing we've seen up to the present is in the first X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic arc that mm-hmm. Hickman did with Declan Shalvey, the two mutants that AIM had captured for nefarious purposes were Chamber and Husk. And Wolverine and Nightcrawler save Chamber, but Husk gets taken away. And we haven't seen where that's going yet, but I think Declan is... I'm a little bit behind on the Infinity comic, and I know that Declan Shalvey is doing, I think, a sequel, so... Well, I'm sure it'll look amazing. Yeah, oh yeah, and like, but like TBD on on where that storyline goes. But... I'm not shocked to hear that. My my big I was like a big X-Men movie Iceman pyro person, so I'm a real basic uh, bitch. Yeah, no, I I get <laughs> but, that. Uh, that was that was definitely a thing. It was not my thing, but it was a thing for sure. So I, I love that Sinjin is back. Sinjin Allardyce is having a ball, but I would like for him to be gayer. Because I would absolutely he was be gay. so gay in the eighties okay. and nineties. So I was really, I was really pulling. I was reading Marauders with my fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> listen, they like Jerry definitely put a vibe between them. Yeah, look, they have they have their own like special move names. And they stuff, and yeah, they so. make little mutant circuits together, which is like basically jerking each other off, right? Like, yeah. I mean, they literally yeah. make like yes. a big like fire spitting ice phallus at one point off panel you know, that we don't get circuits. to see. Yeah. That's some shit that pops up in Gen X. It's true. They do a lot of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. They do a lot of mutant circuitry. So I, yeah, I think like it would be like, that would be my ideal. Like if Chamber came back. Yeah. I'd like, love to I would see him helping with him. the teaching. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, presumably he's good at it. I mean, I always say like, you know, I'd love to see Vita Ayala put that character in New Mutants, but I feel that way about yeah. 50 different characters. It's not, right. it's not yeah, fair to absolutely. Vita Ayala to be like, every character should be in this book. No, like, I It's totally already a really understand. big cast, you know? I totally understand the, the deal with that, but like if he were to pop up doing something. That would be a great like, place for him, I think. Yeah. Um, or he could be, he could get into his guitar playing. That was sure. thing that I would love to see more of Go that. on tour with Dazzler. There are questions about this. There, there are questions about where he should be Ooh, on yeah, Krakoa. So I think time. we should get into the questions. 
a lot of you wrote in. First, I just wanted to read one and just like with a content warning here for suicide and suicidal ideation. Rob McDonald writes, Hi, Connor. I'm not really sure how to frame this as a question, so forgive me. It also comes with the caveat that I haven't read every single issue that Jono is a part of. This is a bit self-indulgent, so I apologize, but there just aren't many avenues for this, so you've ended up as an inadvertent nonsense receptacle. Around six years ago, I survived a suicide attempt. I'd hesitate to suggest it's something I've recovered from, but it's something I've accepted. I've since been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and I'm doing much better with the correct medication. The reason I really like the character of Chamber is the way he struggles to accept himself and communicate with others because of this thing that happened to him and is continuing to happen within him. While it's a bit specious, in my mind, the manifestation of his powers feels like something I can understand in that it's something within him that can't be fully controlled and has cast this shadow over his whole life. The literal manifestation of it is constantly with him, creating this distance between him and everyone around him. He can't even communicate with them in the way he did before. This is something I identify with hugely. Like I said, I don't really know how to frame it as a question. It's just something I've always thought about and never had anyone to talk to about it. Really love the show, Rob. And I just wanted to thank Rob for writing in. I think that's a really important and like congratulations on yeah. all the work that you've been yeah, doing. Yeah, it's like, been snaps. it's been six years and you're here and you're good and you're reflecting on it in a productive way and that's great. So and I think that's an amazing read on Chamber and I do think that ties into also the sort of aesthetics of Chamber. I always sort of read him as somebody who's meant to be depressed, even yes. though not really necessarily seeing him at his lowest lows. All right, the time. but it also to me is interesting because of what we were talking about with the Chamber miniseries arc, where it's like the thing that can be tricky about the mutant metaphor is that mutants are actually dangerous in whatever mm-hmm. sense. And so looking at it through the lens of disability and mental illness specifically, like when you are mentally ill, sometimes you are a danger to yourself or others. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that you should be treated in any way that is less dignified than any other person. Yeah, no, I I think that works actually super well with him. And I think that's a really adroit reading of the character. Yeah, so thank you for writing in. And it's okay that it wasn't a question because I thought yeah. it was interesting. Travis White Schwach writes, Hi, Connor and Kat. I'm very excited to learn more about Chamber. I hope you can shed light on something that's always confused me. His psionic mane is so powerful that it blew off half his face, yet it can be contained by some surgical tape or a bandana. Do I have that right? Thanks, Travis. Yes, Travis. That's correct. Brev Tanner writes, Connor, help. I don't understand Chamber at all. How does he eat? (laughs) If he can't eat, how does his body sustain its own internal (laughs) organs? But like psi energy, who cares? It's fucking X-Men. Can Jono sleep? How? What happens if a power dampener like Leech is around? Does Chamber suddenly get a chest and a mouth? Characters freak out about Nightcrawler's appearance, but every pair of panties besides Monet is dropped for the guy with this uncontrollable fire bursting from his chest cavity. Is this just a crazy Bachalo design with no thought to any sense of reality? I don't get it. Help, Brev. Well, he's British, so that's why everyone's like hot for the him. The accent gal. He's white, British, and skinny, and also sad. Yeah, he writes gel, G-E-L. Like, it's a very intense... He does not eat. He has no organs. Um, I think my biggest question about how his powers work is why he has blood. Yeah, but... that is a great question. <laughs> and, like, where does it go, right? Like, how does it yeah. circulate? As for Leech, Leech is around in Gen X, but I don't think they ever deal with Leech in ever... proximity to Chamber. No, I think they they're like I think they all like wisely keep Leech away from him. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. But I imagine if Leech did walk up to him, it would have been a really bad House of M style situation until they like pick up Leech and run away like a football field length, and then Chamber probably like lights back up. Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to see that. So I think they just kept them separate. 
Cisneros writes, hello, Connor, an esteemed guest. Chamber fits into that category of mutant where they're not really a telepath telepath, a la Jean, Emma, and Xavier, but they do have powers that, upon introduction, are definitely telepathy adjacent. Danny, Karma, Sage, etc. Sometimes characters like these just develop into fully functioning telepaths, but other times they become more specialized. With mutants especially, we tend to see development of powers occur alongside character development. Not always, but often. What direction would you take Chamber's powers in? He's got that psionic fire or whatever that he shoots, and he communicates with those cool Sandman-type speech bubbles to show his telepathic abilities, but where would you go? You could really go a lot of ways with his powers. Keep up the great podcast. Desus Neris from Washington, he him. I mean, that would be great. I think every creator that really digs into his telepathy at all has left the door open for more development. Yeah, it's like karma that way. I feel like it's always sort of like, this could go wherever you want it to go, but we don't want the character to lose their flavor, so we're not pushing it too, too, too far. But, like, somebody straight up tells him to, like, work on it, right? Yeah, and I think that he could absolutely do more broad-spectrum telepathy stuff. The thing about Chamber, and this is what Sink impresses upon him when Sink uses Chamber's power to fly, is, like, Chamber doesn't train enough. Like, Chamber doesn't practice because he's, like, a sullen goth who's just like, I'll always be a freak. I can't learn anything that's going to make my life better. And, like, so he just doesn't. And, like, you know, he like many, is kind of a big gun without training. Right, like he can just do, they call it biochemical or like psionic bioblasts or something. Like, yeah, he can just shoot people with his sci-fire. So he doesn't need to learn more than what he's already done for communication. We do see him telepathically contact Stacy in that Joe Casey mm-hmm. story. So he has trained enough to like do that kind of astral projection thing. But yeah, I'd be into seeing him do more of it, in part because there aren't that many male telepaths. And I think that oh, yeah. he would have an interesting perspective on it that would be very different from someone like Charles or Quentin Quire. Oh, man, it would actually be great to see him and Quentin interact because before, the last time we saw them really interact... In Gen X Volume 2, yeah. Yeah, John was the teacher and Quentin's the student. So that would be kind of a cool dynamic. Right, I guess, yeah. Wise. Mm-hmm. I'm just I know <laughs> I'm just not a I'm just not a Quentin person I, I'm like I'm like I I'm like I I love that for you I'm like as you can tell I love assholes right so. no I get that fully and that's <laughs> but I I totally understand I respect no but that's the kind of Quentin choir fan I can fuck with is when they understand that he's like a bad <laughs> dude yeah <laughs> right. which is why I think it would be like quite interesting to see him have to deal like Jono have to deal with him as mm-hmm. a peer yeah John Clyde writes, Dear Connor, spelled with an E-R, I'm only calling you out because you drew attention to it later in a second email. And Kat, first off, I can't begin to tell you how amazing it is to have this podcast in my life. After a particularly rough year above and beyond the pandemic, having something to focus on that gives me so much joy has been a game changer for my mental health, so thanks for the bottom of my heart. Well, thank you for listening. Also, every time the Candy Southern Drizzly ad pops up, I truly love that you give a shout out to the Sobers. It makes me smile every time. Oh, well, if you like the Candy Southern Drizzly ads... Stay tuned in March. My question is about Chambers' general lack of star power in the years following Gen X. That comic was my entry into the world of the X-Men, and I always loved that cast obsessively. Every time Chambers shoehorned into any storylines post-Gen X, I feel like the writers have trouble finding a way to make him shine. The recent New Mutant Space Adventure had him and Mondo essentially decorating the background scenes with little to do, while Cannonball and Sunspot explored their undying love for each other. What kind of team or storyline do you think would make Jono come into his own? Is pairing him back up with Paige the only way to get people interested again, or is the poor guy destined to be a 90s 
nostalgia throwaway character. Thanks again for making this gay geek smile on a regular basis and keep up the amazing work, John Clyde. And then he immediately emailed again and said, and I spelled your name wrong, Cy. I'll be obsessing about that for the rest of my life. Ha ha. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's cute, though, that you cared because I did mention that it annoys me, but it's fine. I'm not, I'm not actually mad at you. What do you think, Kat? Well, like I said, like, definitely would like to see him teach more kind of why he why he never really got the star power i think he's a lot like a little bit um so aesthetic Mm -hmm. that's kind of what people like they just want to pop him in there but his characterization has been pretty thin (laughs) like it's been very consistent i guess but there's not a whole ton of depth there and a lot of other characters overlap with his power set and the way that they utilize him, which is essentially like, he's the big gun. He's like our bomb here. And Mm -hmm. like, there are a lot of them. (laughs) I do like him as a teacher, particularly for like the visible mutants. Like he would be great for someone like Cosmar to talk to. Absolutely. I was thinking that like, that would be a cool thing for him to like pop in. They call him up. Because he was also disfigured by his mutation in the way that she was. And I think, and, and right. had a complex about it. Not in Frank Thierry's Weapon X. Well, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, I think that would be great. Like that would be a cool way to explore those themes. But I also think he would be great on the flagship team. Like I think he would be great as part of an X-Men roster when the team cycles at the end of whatever, you know, 12 issue. Because uh, they've implied that the that I mean we don't know Scott and Jean might stick like it, it's not entirely clear how it works but it seems like most of the X Men team is going to rotate each year which I think is a really cool idea because there are so many great characters who could use a and spotlight so much burnout so I would love to see him on the X Men again I think that that would be I mean on like I would love to see him and Stacy on the X Men together again that would be a lot yeah of fun. that would be actually great or like. Or he could run a nightclub. Uh, yeah. I mean, Beto's running a nightclub on Mars in X-Men Red right. is the thing. So I don't know how many nightclubs people are going to run. But that, I mean, he could also work at Beto's nightclub on Mars. Like, there are true. lots of places. that this, like He's a character who has enough. I could definitely see him pick up like, that, that music kind of trace. Yeah. He has enough of character relationships that I feel like he has a lot of options, but you just need a writer who has a story for him. Like there are so many cool characters in this franchise that it becomes a thing where it's like, okay, but do I have a story for them right now? I could definitely see him picking up some investigation stuff too with X-Force since he's done a lot of like undercover work. Yeah. He, depending on where Legion of X goes, like he could be a good, cause that's going to be a rotating cast outside of like the four main characters. So I could see him moving in another, that would be a place he and Stacy could interact again, actually. Oh yeah. That would be good. Well, Stacy is taking care of all the babies that are apparently abandoned. I think they're fine now. They, she said that the quiet (laughs) council was figuring out adoption and let's just assume that that has happened by this point. I just wanted to know whether or not they were humans dropping off their mutant babies or mutants dropping off. Their no, the implication oh, cool. was that it was mutants. It was like Krakoans having unplanned pregnancies. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Onslaught. Sure. Like everybody right. was having their id brought out by Onslaught <laughs> and it was like poisoning their morality or whatever. Don't. I, 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 I truly don't think it will ever matter again. So let's not. I wrote like half an essay about it and then had to put it away. So <laughs> I get we have you heard the Stacey X episode yet? Because we go. We yeah, get into I've listened it. to part of it. Yeah, yeah, we get into it. Don't worry about it. Uh, but like it's it's just I think that's something that we don't super need to worry about. I think that the point it was making way of X was a point that made sense. But I don't yeah. think we should dwell on the floor babies forever. That's fair. 
I'm always a little behind. Sorry. No, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. This is a long fucking podcast. And that was just two weeks ago. But yeah, I think teaching is really where if I was going to slot him. That's where I would put him. I'd yeah. If you're not if you're not going to put him on the X-Men team, I would put him on. In a It'd be kind of cool to see him. And like, I know magic is going a different direction, but there was, were some things in Vita's. Mm hmm. Vita and Rod Reyes's New Mutants where they were very adamant about trying new different ways to teach. And I feel like that was kind of already the vibe of Chamber and Gen X. I also think that wherever Pete Wisdom and the Strike Agents turn up next, because mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be in Knights of X. I think Teeny like set that down for another writer to pick up if they want, you know? That's fair. Because they're not going to go to Otherworld. Like, that's the UK plot that's happening. Like, Chambers from the UK and had this whole interaction with the UK approach to mutants in the Poptopia arc. He and Pete Wisdom could link up. He has done espionage-type stuff, as you know. Like, that could be a fun place for him. Because the strike agents are probably not going to be field operatives all the time. Like, they're, you know, they're not, Mm -hmm. they don't have a physical mutation that way. They're just telepathic. So he could help them out with that. I secretly kind of want him to pop up in the... The like magic, the labors of magic with her and yeah, Maddie. Yeah, because he's got this weird apocalypse background that was obviously just never picked up ever again, but could be kind of cool. I mean, well, that's why I think it would be cool to put him on Araco. Mm, yeah, because like, yeah, he's like related to Iska by marriage theoretically. Right. It's like five thousand years removed, so the idea. But again, he's like directly patrilineally descended from Apocalypse, so it's like right. okay, so. there's that. So there are a lot of open doors. There are a lot of I open think. doors. Is my <laughs> is my thinking? We now have a couple of questions about the Apocalypse thing, actually. So I'm just gonna okay. read them all together. Go for it. Clayton Flesher writes, "Hi Connor, love the show. I've been listening through the back catalog ever since Ezra Klein recommended you." I'm up to the Monet episode as of writing this. I first began collecting comics when I was around 13 in 1995, so I was the perfect age for Gen X with its teens and also 90s angst. The first comic I ever bought off the spinner rack in my small town was Gen X 6, with that great cover of Emma sitting on top of Hemingway and Marrow. Gen X is the only comic I own every issue of the initial run for, even the terrible Gen X and Gen 13 crossover, and Chamber was my favorite Marvel character as a teen. I got those. My question is, what's the deal with Chamber and Apocalypse and Clan Akaba? I've read those stories and still don't understand them. I couldn't tell you how he got his powers back post-decimation, other than that it somehow involved Apocalypse, and even less how he got back his classic appearance. Is it a dwy? Thanks again. And then Nick DeVito writes... Connor, I'm excited you're going to be delving into my favorite cool-looking but obnoxious sad boy. Hopefully this episode invests others in Chamber the same way your episode on Exodus hooked me on him. Who knew? In Claremont's new Excalibur, Chamber's ties to Apocalypse and Clan Akaba are revealed in a twist that reverses his decimation and gives him a weird look. Blink is also implied to be a descendant of this Frederick Slade character in the same stories. With the reemergence of the Coven Akaba, is there story potential for the descendants of A? Do they have a place on Arako, or is it just another Dwy? So these are both solid questions. First of all, as we pointed out, it's actually Frank Thierry's fill-ins on New Excalibur right. when Claremont was recovering from a stroke, which is it's part like of why one, it does not go anywhere. Fill-in. It's literally like, this is one issue. It's New Excalibur 9. Coven Akaba is an offshoot, though. Like, they're not mutants. They're people who think that Apocalypse's actual family has, like, strayed from the light. But, like, is that a hook? Yeah, Absolutely. I think part of it is that it's fucking awkward for, like, Apocalypse's heir to be a white man from England. (laughs) Yeah, you're not wrong. And also, like, Warren as Apocalypse's heir that he chose is already such a thing 
that like a bunch of people who are also descended from Apocalypse chose you as their heir in this faction that no one ever really did anything with. There's not a ton to that, but I think it would be fun to see him on Araco, like exploring what his ancient heritage was maybe like. It's just, again, how the fuck did they get all that apocalypse blood? Now I'm just, there was just like a literal fountain of blood in that issue. issue. But again, like the Araki in general are presented overwhelmingly as people of Middle Eastern or Sub-Saharan African descent. And it just like, the optics of chamber being like important to their culture would be a little weird, I think. Yeah. It's kind of just a dwy, guys. It's kind of just a big dwy. Yeah, I'm like, there's just really like, I'm sure there are writers who could do a cool white passing privilege storyline with the X-Men, but... <laughs> but also like, it's 5,000 years removed. Like, yeah, he's white. Yeah. Because like race is not like a real thing. It's a social construct. So like, right. Chamber is white and it's his like family white, has been white, white for thousands of years by this point. And like, is he descended from a black man 5,000 years ago? Yeah. So are a lot of people yeah, who just, are white. If you go back way far enough, we're all descended from black African people. So it's just one of those right. things where I don't know that, particularly given that I do think this era is working harder with the intersectional, like the difference between being a white mutant and a mutant of color and things like that in a way that yeah. has been elided before. I think it would be awkward to make him like the white savior of the Araki. You know, like we can't, yeah. we can't do that. I think that's also probably one of the reasons he's not necessarily the, the go-to, like a go-to character more recently. We have enough, like, really powerful white guys. Well, and also we have enough people with, like, a deep connection to Apocalypse in secret lore. Like, I just don't know that... Like, he's never met Apocalypse, so it's not that... It'd be very funny if it came up, but I can't really think of an amazing plot. I feel like it would be a throwaway joke that could be very funny, but I just can't see it being, like, an important plot. As for the first question, he got his powers and his original appearance back, as we said, because of the Age of X reality warp. So it actually had nothing to do with the apocalypse plot. It was undoing the apocalypse plot because nobody liked that. Yeah. Not a soul. I, I, I defy you to find anyone. I've never encountered a chamber fan who's like, I love when they turned him into mini apocalypse in that issue of new Excalibur. Or the, I just love the new warrior's take on him. It rules. Right. Yeah. Decibel. What a King. Like I've just never, I've just never encountered that. So I, I think that the idea was Mike Carey looked at that and was like, Chamber was cool. Why don't we just turn him back into Chamber? Like, and so they did. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe is my guess. Mike Carey, a friend of the pod. Great taste. Good choice. Yeah, absolutely. Great choice. <laughs> Quinn Hester is right. Hey, Connor, an esteemed guest. I'll make sure to be real brief with this one. Do you think Jono feels guilty that he can't reciprocate oral sex? The only thing is... <laughs> The only thing as good as receiving is giving. So I imagine Chamber would have some hangups with his whole I have no mouth and I must go down thing. Do you think he was ever jealous that Warren and hell, Toad, had the ability to give Paige something he never could? Thanks, Quinn X Bricks. You know, he probably does have a lot of guilt about it. He probably does. I feel like that's something he's emo about. He's like emo about the fact that he can't eat box. She's never going to love me because I can't go down. Sugar Cane makes a a joke about it when they're (laughs) getting together. She's like, well, you don't have a mouth, but you got hands like or whatever. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure he has many, many um, workarounds. Sugar Cane is Welsh, by the way. Apologies to Welsh listeners. But when I tried to do a Welsh accent in the Pixie episode, it truly broke my brain. And so I just didn't try in this episode. And please forgive me. (laughs) 
yeah, I think he would definitely be sad about that, but I think he probably has an outstanding finger blast game to make up. Absolutely. For and he, I think he's probably now current chamber has gotten over feeling weird about it in the bedroom. So he has a toy box. That is a man with toys. I also like when he has his like bandages or scarf wrapped around, he kind of has like a lips shape, right? Like it's kind of he, like he telekinetically. Sometimes he has his top lip. Yeah. Sometimes so he doesn't. I feel like he could kind of just like mouth. It'd be like a dental dam. He could like develop such like, fine there's no control of his power happening that he but... could make some kind of like tongue. But if not, like the, like lips are good. That's something. Yeah. This is this is we have to we have to move on. Juan Pablo Mesa writes, Hi, Connor, my name's Juan Pablo, and I have a question regarding one of my favorite characters, Chamber, and one specific appearance of him. X-Men Legacy 264 has one of my favorite pages in X-Men comics, where Chamber is basically giving a sex ed class to young mutants with physical mutations, such as Rockslide, Glob Herman, Bling, and Anole. And he tells them that his class is a safe space where they won't be judged by the spandex crowd. That everyone deserves to be loved and to not let their lives be defined by those who hurt you. Personally, that's great advice that I've taken to heart. Well, it's a great page. I was wondering, is Chamber the perfect person to give mutant sex ed classes? Which other mutant would you choose to give a sex ed class to mutants who feel insecure about their physical mutations? I ask because I'm not sure if Chamber could have intimacy with another person due to his powers. And in that same page, Rockslide mentions that he has no junk. This is my first question that I send, and I apologize for any mistakes in the paragraph since English isn't my first language. Love the podcast. Keep doing a great job. Well, your English is great, so don't worry yeah. about that. English is one of the dumbest languages in the fucking world. And anybody, anybody who learns English as a second language, I would never criticize for a second. But I would not have known that if you didn't tell me. So you have nothing to worry about. Man, rip to Rockslide in that scene. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, that's another great teaching scene for him. Though. That's the one I really I like, like, honestly. I think in another chamber book, though, Dupe is teaching, isn't in the Gen X, Dupe <laughs> is teaching sex ed. I, I just, I don't, I don't fuck with Dupe. And I've said that. I'm on the just podcast saying they're now like he's another canonical. He is, but, he, but with him, it's a joke, which was like yeah. less interesting to me. I actually think that Chamber and Stacy would be really good. Like Chamber should help Stacy do sexual health counseling at the Bower. That would be great. I would love that. That, that would, would be, be cool. Amazing, like. Even if it was just like a couple pages where like they walk through it and they're like, this is what's up. It could just be, it could be that. like a backstory panel. Like Kurt could be walking through and just mention like, there's Chamber. He is teaching a sexual health course with Stacy for the youth. You know, and like, <laughs> it would be fine. We could just do that. Yeah. No, that would be great. So yeah, he, he is. He's a great sex ed teacher. Good yeah. For him. Good for him. This made me laugh. Jay Doherty writes, Dear Connor esteemed guest, given Connor's extreme proclivity for decimation era comics, I simply cannot wait to hear your opinions on our beloved hero, Decibel. I fully expect you both to try and dwy away the wonder of it all, but I just have to know, what the hell? What were they thinking? Was this ever meant to be a permanent change? Has Jono's vaunted membership of the great clan Akaba ever come up again? Does this technically make him a relative or descendant of the Araki? How do they feel about that? How does he feel about that? Please help me find clarity and understand this gaping hole in the history of everyone's favorite mutant whose powers have made him a literal gaping hole. All my best to you both, Jay, a.k.a. Dr. Nemesis. P.S. Seriously, though, who was your favorite new warrior from Volume 4? Blackwing? Ripcord? They had to come close to getting one of these poor saps, right? Right? Oh, man. They all are terrible. I'm sorry. Like, without, except, actually, Stacy having whips from her suit as Ripcord, like, giving Stacy a whip and making her basically Catwoman is cool. Like, that's a cool idea. I would not be opposed to Stacy using whips again in the future as, like, a weapon. However, Ripcord sucks. They all suck. Like, honestly, Decibel is probably the best one. He is, yeah. Cause, and also because it does feel like 
he chose Banshee's power, which is right. interesting, but they don't talk about it. Right. I was sort of like, Beak makes sense because he always wanted to fly. Chamber makes sense. I don't know what the fuck else is happening here. Blackwing and Tempest are the really offensive ones because like making Angel and Beak into like Normies? a CW couple is just like really oh. offensive to me when like the point of Angel in a lot of ways was that she's a cute girl, but she's not the kind of cute girl that ever gets to star in a superhero comic at that time. Right. She's, she's no Paige Guthrie. Not only is she like a dark skinned black woman, but she also is chubby. They do mention, they're like, oh, wow, you really slimmed down. You lost all the junk in the trunk. It's like, shut the fuck up, wind dancer. That felt very, I mean, I don't know your opinion on this, but my like non-Latino opinion, I was like, this white Latina telling the Afro- It did not feel good. (laughs) This white Latina complimenting the Afro Latina on losing the junk in her trunk feels extremely messy to me. It would, one, it would- Probably not happen. You know Angel would not have been okay with that at all. No, first absolutely of all. not. She would have frozen the shit out But it's like, her. Sophia, that's like, I don't know. It was giving Gina Rodriguez to me in a way that was very... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what the fuck was up with that? I don't know. And I'll never have to think about it again. Yeah, it was bad and but no one cares. Honestly, there was a lot of race stuff happening. In that whole arc. Well, when Tattoo dies and no one cares, that's except also for very... Brother. And except then for her later, brother, except they all tell him, like, oh, calm down. Shut the fuck up. But then later, when he's like, everybody's like, but your sister died. And he's like, no, I got over it. Like, they can't even keep the continuity. Anyway. is bad, gang. It's not good. It's so bad that, like, to protect the innocent, I haven't gone into the creative team on it at all. Because I just don't... We just don't need to revisit. There are artists on this book who didn't deserve this. I just don't. I don't want to. Just, just don't. Yeah. Just, just. You will literally miss nothing. It does not actually explain any secrets about his connection. I to would argue it's all. barely even canon because, again, like Joe Casey was just like, "No, fuck you, Stacy's alive. I don't care." Like, no one paid attention to this book. It truly does yeah. not matter. Well, I mean, that could have you could have really made a case that that was anybody but Stacy. Well, right. You could have just said she claimed she was Stacy X, but she wasn't. Like, who knows who yeah. that girl is? Random. Willow Callahan writes, hello, Connor, and fabulous guest. I'm very excited that my favorite X-Man is finally getting his episode, and I'll try not to ramble too much. Obviously, everyone wishes their fave had more page time, but Jono feels like he should be one of the big names. He's got the whole, I don't actually want to do this thing like Alex and Lorna, but he doesn't really have a choice because he can't hide his mutation the way they do. It just leaves me with a million mostly rhetorical questions. Why aren't he and his boyfriend, Angelo, the main characters of Krakoa? I'm asking. Why hasn't he adopted Cosmar? We did bring that up earlier also. Mm-hmm. When will we see him and Clarice Ferguson hanging out with their weird Araki cousins? Because Blink is also, and, and Blink, <laughs> thankfully, despite being pink, is a black person. So that's less awkward. True. Blink's race is deeply complicated, though, because they made her Asian in the Fox movie. Yes. So nobody knows what Blink's deal is. And we'll get to that in a Blink it's episode. Fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Is friend of Jono a women-loving women euphemism? Because between Jubilee, Monet, that lizard girl Amber, and Bling, there are some serious <laughs> vibes. Lizard girl Amber he, does give off a lezzy vibe, actually. She does. But she does flirt she does. with him. Like, bye, I guess. But, like, she has kind of, like, a, a soft butch energy that is Look, appealing. Look, Paige definitely had some compet vibes in Gen X with her relationship with Jono. Oh, like, you oh, think? Like, oh, he's a boy who's cute. I should like him. See, to me, my thing is, like, 
love Christina Strain, but like Jubilee and Chamber has big combat energy to me because Jubilee. They okay to me. That's like two bisexuals dating, each and other. that is the only way you can interpret it, and that's fine. I know lots of those couples and love them dearly, but like Jubilee, especially after like the Marjorie Lou X twenty three Jubilee, it just you're not wrong. Feels so fucking gay to me. Okay, everybody in Marjorie Marjorie Lou comics. Well, yeah, but also story. if you go back, it's interesting. I was going back to the post Inferno like Siege Perilous era. X-Men mm-hmm. recently in the, like, 89. And Jubilee, as initially presented by Claremont and Lee, is, like, a very butch character in a way that's yeah. interesting. Like, she's styled very much in, like, almost a... It has that, like, Jenny Shimizu or Joan Chen kind of, like, androgynous Asian model yeah. vibe And, I mean, I think some of that, too, because she's younger, too. She right? is younger. She's, she's 13. But, like, Kitty was always a more feminine 13-year-old and had a complex about that because she didn't feel feminine enough, right? Yeah. Whereas uh, Jubilee is, like, in menswear a lot and is it's mm-hmm. very – it's interesting. It's also just, like, that's the trend of the time, right? Like, she's a mall rat. There's this and that. Right. But she's not a mall rat, like, boom, boom in a tube top and, like, little shorts, Right. You know? Yeah, definitely not. She's definitely more of a clothes horse. Mm-hmm. Lastly, and sorry for rambling, oops, do we think that Bobby or Aurora has created an ice cave on Tropical Krakoa for all the goth mutants to hang out in in their black trench coats? Sorry for the long email, lol, Willow Callahan, 616 stars more on Twitter. Well, now I'm like, are they hanging out on Mars? That's a pretty goth place. I think Mars is a super goth place to hang out. And I think that, I mean, I I would like to see him because he and Beto should be friends now after Hickman New Mutants, right? So I would love to see him at Beto's new bar that's been solicited on I would love to see some flirtation there. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, after Teeny's Secret X-Men where Beto on page is like, I like Boom Boom because she's sexy. And I like Banshee because he's sexy. I was like, damn, okay, let's do this. I mean, Hickman and Ewing have always taken it there. And now Ewing, who is a bi man, is writing that book. So I would it would be exciting to see some of that happen. I think, yeah, like that would be like a big hope. But that's my hope for every character I like. And like Beto needs to get over Sam because it's not going to happen. Yeah, he abs- has a wife absolutely. and a child and it's not. Like- Look, unless they're going to unless they're going to tripod it up. Which like- I just I don't think that's going to get through S&P. So I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. And I think Izzy would eventually. I don't think move. Izzy would like that is the thing, you know, like she's just it's not. It's definitely more of a poly V. Yes. Like they could both. They're both into Sam. Yeah. You know. James Callahan writes, hi, Connor, double check the spelling, LOL. Gosh, guys, I hope I haven't been too pedantic about that. <laughs> it's just like, it, I, I am just traumatized from a childhood of tchotchke shops that only spelled my name wrong. Everything was Connor with an E, and I was like, no one in Ireland has ever spelled it this way. Like, please buy a book. I don't know, guys. Like, buy a baby name book somewhere. That's fair. And guest, first off, love the show. I'm really impressed with how just when it seemed like it could get repetitious with so many characters having shared history, like you'd just be recounting the same events from different viewpoints, you somehow managed to make every episode unique and interesting in its own right, whether by choosing unexpected characters like Candy Southern or by offering perspectives that would never have occurred to me. Thank you for broadening my enjoyment of these stories and these characters. Well, that's enormously sweet. Thank you for saying that. That's the goal, right? Because I worried, too, that this would get repetitive because a lot of the characters are in the same stories. But if you yeah, really dig into fair. each one of them as a person, I feel like you do get something different each week and also the guests like Kat here bringing their own perspectives I do think is really big because the show feels different to me every single week which is something I really love about doing it my question about Chamber probably will be covered in the episode, but his powers seem so poorly defined. They're tossed off as being vaguely psionic somehow, which I think is just an excuse to allow him to communicate telepathically. The actual question is, has he ever refined or shown growth in how his powers work, i.e. been able to channel his psychic energy to heal or to pick shit up? Anything besides a destructive blast? Creative uses of telepathy, maybe? 
Uh, just that, just the one, like, sending it out to Stacy X. But I think we've seen a lot of refining of his blast powers. Yeah, he can blast in a lot of different ways. I do think that, like, Rosenberg giving him, like, Rosenberg's death scene for him was quite the feat when he just, like, yeah. melts all of the marauders into skeletons. I mean, it's, like, pretty right. good. <laughs> it, it's a pretty badass moment. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that he has been given power growth moments, but they've mostly been in terms of, like, my sci-fi is better lately, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, there's him, like, Paige is really impressed when he burns a little heart for her yeah. because it shows that he's really refined. Exactly. And, like, now he can just sort of pull it down a little. Yeah, and, like, and it's, like, his little he like baklava. Exactly, and goes, like, and, like, just yeah. shoots some fire out. Yeah. But, yeah, like we were saying, the side power is not really. No, it's kind of like how Karma gets a really cool feat sometimes, but hasn't expanded her. Because, again, like, the flavor of the character is the cool part. There are a lot of telepath yeah. characters. Chamber's cool because his telepathy is a weird fire in his chest. Like, that's cool. Yeah. Karma's cool because her telepathy is weird possession powers. So, like, I appreciate when they give these specialist characters a power feat that is really cool, but that fits their flavor. My favorite one for Karma is in the Zeb Wells necrotia tie-in in new mutants mm. when she possesses the entire team at once to confuse cyborg doug because he is oh, yeah, reading really their cool. body language so she just possesses everyone and starts making them move in really unnatural ways so that he can't predict how they're gonna move mm -hmm. and it's just really fucking cool Akira King writes, hello, Connor and Kat. I'll keep it short and sweet. What dish is Jono bringing to the Apocalypse family reunion and who is his favorite cousin? Excelsior, Akira. Well, he doesn't eat. He doesn't eat and he's <laughs> British, so he can't cook. Oh. oh. So he brings booze. Yeah, alcohol for sure. Like, and he can't even drink it, but he yeah. is thoughtful. He's a thoughtful house guest. As for his favorite Araki cousin... Well, he, it would be interesting for him to talk to War, actually, but she's not Ooh, around. Yeah. But, like, she has a fiery head also. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, we don't know most of the Araki, like, well enough yet to really know mm -hmm. all of their personalities. I think he'd be very intimidated by Iska the Unbeaten. Yes. That's kind of like a fear boner. But it would be very funny for her to be like, you're his direct descendant? <laughs> interesting like, like that like interesting just like yeah like like boop him on the nose like how cute you know that would be kind of fun last question krakoa welcomes asks what would some of your favorite x characters look like if they got the 90s movie gen x treatment and had their powers absolutely curb stomped by budget concerns hashtag justice for refrax oh my god i'm like devon sawa i don't know <laughs> Yeah, like, Chamber was famously not in the Gen X TV movie because his power was too expensive to produce right. for that film, which had a budget of, like, $5. I guess you would just have him with, like, the baklava or whatever. Yeah, and, like, just not ever take it off. But yeah. that would have been kind of sad. Or, like, you see him blow stuff up, but you see it from behind, like, his mm -hmm. back. Most of my favorite X-Men are telepaths is the thing. So, like, they don't require that much budget because they can just, you could just, like, make the screen shake a little or, like, vibrate or do, like, a vignetting. And it's like, oops, now we're in telepathy mode. But honestly, like, no disrespect to January Jones, who I think did the best with really lackluster material. But yes. X-Men First Class Emma Frost is, is, like, I prefer Finola Hughes's budget mm -hmm. Gen X TV movie Emma Frost because it at least the writing is there for the character and something about the higher budget of X-Men First Class makes that Emma seem cheaper like all of the special effects seem cheap and her mm -hmm. costume the Hellfire Club lingerie yeah. they give her looks 
pretty awful. So bottom of the barrel. To me, that's like, look at how they massacred my boy. Like, that's my sort of Fox X-Men moment with a character like that. I mean, I guess Juve's just was white. She was, so, yeah. That was, that was, in the I'm TV like, movie. I guess somebody, maybe somebody from EastEnders. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, British pop stars. <laughs> kind of, but, but, like, low-budget ones. You know? Yeah, well, that's the thing, is it would have to be, like, someone from Take That or something. You know, like, it can't be yeah. a, it's not a one-directioner, you know what I mean? Like, no, it's not... no, definitely not. That's a funny question. He certainly is one of the characters who would be most difficult to do in live action in a way that would be any good. It's like how Medusa of the Inhumans was just impossible to make not look incredibly stupid. Yeah. Hair is hard to begin with in CGI. Like every new generation of video game consoles is like, look how much better the hair looks now. And it's still like, never great, but we're getting there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's hard to animate. It is so why not? Why not just shave it off? That's yeah, fine. There you That's go. That's a normal thing to do to your humans television show. Yeah, well that happened to her in a comic once, but now I don't. It was not a great like first no first episode intro. No, it was not with a party city wig. It was just not. It's not the look. Was skin in that one? It's been no so skin and skin like skin, and skin no skin is in it but husk and chamber are not because they were too expensive to do the special effects for so there's these new characters buff and refrax who have never been in the comics right and never will again nope <laughs> although i actually have said i think it would be hilarious if buff and refrax were on krakoa like without explanation that, that they yeah they resurrected like they just like <laughs> like harley quinn or renee montoya them just like into our universe like i think that would yes, be funny would but be unlike harley quinn and renee montoya who are from an enormously successful cartoon i don't believe that the gen <laughs> x no, tv no, movie is, is like really. a great nostalgic item no one's clamoring for this yeah i mean i would think it was funny well, Kat, is there anything else you'd like to say about Chamber before we wrap up? No, just thank you so much to have me on for my my favorite. Like, I was an emo hipster. He's like a little before emo, but you know, there's that spiritual connection there. So, of being sad and pretentious and wearing too many jackets. <laughs> jacket. Wearing too many jackets. <laughs> well, I was thrilled to have you. Thank you for joining me. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and tell them about anything that you want to plug? So you should read Women Write About Comics. Wawak. Wawak. Like Connor said, I'm the small press indie and webcomic editor there. So uh, you should pitch me if there's an indie comic you love and no one's written about it. Please pitch me. You can find me on Twitter at Dog Underwater because my name is Cat Overland. And I um, never got that. <laughs> I, I really live for that realization. Oh, that, so. I love that. So you can find me at Dog Underwater and you can also find me at Untitled Toggies podcast, which is a rewatched podcast for Gundam Wing, everybody's favorite oh Toonami anime, <laughs> where me and my partner and two other fans discuss internet fandom. Justice for Rolina. Yes, we talk about we talk about that. Um, I uh, don't email me. I have ships. no other opinions on Gundam Wing. I did not watch Gundam Wing. There were not enough girls in it. Uh, that you know, we we talk about that. It's pretty gay. So if you oh, like, it, oh, uh, you well, know, yeah, I mean, talk about if you like slash, talk about cartoons. the slash fan fiction fandom of that time. Yeah, no, I'm I'm familiar with who all those twinks are. Don't get me wrong, I know exactly what all their names are. It would be difficult to avoid them. Unavoidable <laughs> on the internet at that time. Yeah. So we'll whack and untitled Tall Geese podcast wherever podcasts are sold. So and that's Tall Geese like a large waterfowl. Yes. Yeah. Like the video game. Untitled, yeah. 
So. Oh, like Untitled Goose Game. Oh, that's cute too. <laughs> Look at you with Japans. I love it. Yeah, I'm not like Nola level yet, but you'll get there. You're you're at the feet of the master, honestly, over at Wawak, and soon your puns will be over nine thousand. That's a different tsunami anime of that, the period. That is true. But. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at Cerebrocast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus links to the merch store, the Discord server, and much, much more at Cerebrocast.com, the official Cerebro landing page. For $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier at patreon.com slash Cerebrocast, you can get an ad-free experience, ad-free MP3 versions of every episode as soon as they go up. You also get access to the exclusive Secret Files bonus episodes. I'm doing a mailbag once a month on general X-Men questions, and I've also got a lot of fun bonus episodes with guests coming up that I'm excited about. The March slates to round out season two before I go on hiatus for the month of April will be Charles Pulliam Moore on the Stepford Cuckoos, Caroline Bird on Canon, Tom Dunn on Banshee, and... Zeb Wells on Nanny and the Orphan Maker. Oh, exciting. For our season finale. Send questions on any and all of those characters to cerebrocast at gmail.com. But if you're sending for multiple characters, it's easier for me if you break them into separate emails. Just a pro tip. Thank you, as always, for listening. I love doing this show. I am really excited about season three. I've booked episodes now into July or August. Uh, there's a lot of exciting stuff coming down the pipe. I'm just really excited to share everything that's to come with all of you. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is to 